to Paris. Are you excited? I'm so excited. This is going to be your first trip outside of these United Kingdoms. Kingdoms. No, I guess it's just one kingdom. No. It's not like the Kingdom of Wales. They don't have a king. No, but it's like the United Kingdom. The four countries are in the United Kingdom. Yeah, but my point is, it's not plural. Yeah, that's true. There's not four kingdoms. Yeah. Northern going... Ireland doesn't have a monarch or an emperor. I remember one time I went to Wales and the, one of the people that I was going with, she was like, I was like, I said something about not needing a passport to go to Wales. And she was like, why would you need a passport? It's not another country. Oh, God. And I was like... <laughs> Yes, it is. Welsh people would take offence at that. Yeah. It's weird, though, because Wales is right there. It's the same amount of time to get from here, which is the middle of England, to get to London than it does to get to Wales. You're giving hints to our location. People are going to triangulate yeah. our exact city. That song just came into my head. Um, Triangles are my favourite shape. That line still makes me laugh because it's so dumb. I remember you were listening to the song and you're like, yeah, this is good. And then they said that line and you looked at me and you just started laughing. When I saw the song title was Tessellate, I was like, okay, this is interesting. It's going to be kind of abstract about the shape of things. And then the first line is triangles are my favorite shape. It's the first line. It's more or less the first line. There's and I just thought, this is the least artful way for you to reference the title there possibly could be. Let's do silly. I was listening How to How did we get from Wales to Alt-J? Yeah, I don't know. But so Wales, I've been to Wales. I've never been to Ireland, either of the islands. Um, and I've sort of been to Scotland. Okay. As in, I drove through there one time and went to like, a chip shop and got some chips. Sure. And then got back in the car and drove home. <laughs> You're such a traveller. Yeah. Um, you sojourned in a Scottish chip shop. I guess. And what was really weird is, is when you get like chips from like a fish and chip shop, it's like, or even you just have chips. It's usually like, oh, do you want salt and vinegar? But they were like, do you want vinegar and sauce? As in like brown sauce or red okay. sauce or whatever. And I was like, no, I want salt. Because <laughs> I don't have vinegar on my chips. So I was just really confused. I guess it was like the part where we were. I don't know if it's just the part where we were or the whole of Scotland. But that's like. Maybe they just assumed that everyone has salt on their chips. No, they didn't put salt on. That's ridiculous. Yeah, salt that's... is necessary yeah. to make chips taste yeah. good. Yeah, I don't know. And so... I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of chips, especially chip shop chips. You like fries though, right? I like them, but it's not a big deal for me. Like, I can go a long time without that, having fries. But the few times that I, you have come with me to KFC, you will just eat my fries. And my fries are important you know to me. know why that is? But you will just sit there and eat them. It's because I'm so uncomfortable there. I don't like being in fast food places that I'm just looking for something to do. Do you remember when I came back to sit down and I bought you a small, like, a fries because I knew you were going to eat my fries? I don't remember this. Yeah. I would like to retroactively thank you for your kindness, though. Yeah. Good. You're welcome. Anyway. I could eat some fries. Wales is kind of just like a province yeah. of England. So that's weird. It's not. Obviously, to us, it's like, oh, my God, it's right there. But to Wales, yeah, Welsh people, in a way, I'm sure there's a lot of them that dislike the English thing. That's true for 
Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. I know, but I feel like Wales gets it so much more because it's right there. It's basically in the armpit of, like, <laughs> England. <laughs> of the landmass. No offence, Welsh people. Yeah, My surname they... is Jones. So, you know. Is that actually Wales? Yeah, that's Welsh. Is that actually Welsh? <laughs> is that actually is that Wales actually born? Wales? <laughs> is that product of Wales? They stamp that on your birth certificate. Uh, it's interesting that places like Wales, even though it's so obvious that they've been not only annexed into a greater thing like Great Britain, but also they've been relegated. Like, who thinks about Wales as an important country? No one. But they still have that sense of defiance where they put Welsh language stuff on their signs <laughs> to try and maintain that separation, that distinction. I don't think that's what they're doing. I mean, they have their own language. They haven't purposely got their own language to, in order for them to be separate from us. They have their own language. Yeah, I don't think they invented it as an example of rebellion. Oh, that's kind of how you were saying it, though. But my point is, how many people speak Welsh? I've got to imagine a small percent. You think all the people in Wales it's speak Welsh? It's their first language. I don't think that's true. I'm their this TV is Welsh. This cannot be Have true. Have you never been like, sometimes when you go to like a place that's like near Wales, regular TV will get some of the Welsh channels. And so you can see the Welsh channels and they are Welsh. <laughs> I am I will admit I'm talking from a place of absolute ignorance <laughs> but i can't imagine that the first language for people for most people in wales is welsh but that's what uh, i well, pretty much bet my life that's not true well maybe now more people teach just teach their kids english but it is their language like their f- was their first language yeah like 500 years no, ago not 500 years back ago back when it was just tribes warring on no. the plains <laughs> but those remnant languages like I don't know if you... Every so often you see a news article where it's like, in Yorkshire, people are desperately trying to revive the Yorkshire dialect or the Yorkshire language or whatever. And it's like, Why at a certain point... articles? <laughs> on Language Today, <laughs> the world's number one language-based newspaper. I guess all newspapers are language-based. But yeah, at a certain point, you have to kind of just say, the battle has been lost. This has been superseded by English... It's cool that some people want to still learn this and use it as a hobby, but ultimately it's kind of confined to museums and history books now. I feel like you're totally downplaying, like, downplaying their language. Yeah, I am. I feel like we need to look this up or we don't speak any more of it because it's probably Welsh people listening go, yeah, we don't speak in English. I find it hard to believe that there could be people in Wales that don't speak English. No, that they can speak English, but like that they all. choose to speak Welsh. Yeah, of course. But That's what I mean. Anyone can learn a second language and choose to speak the second language. No, I think it's their first language. <sighs> Why would been... Welsh be their second language? Because I don't know how to answer that besides <laughs> obviously it would be. No, no. <laughs> I can't believe we've been having this argument for what feels like 400 years. Yeah, speaking of um, languages, we're going to Paris, if we haven't already told you, um, in just a few days. We decided to record this before we go to get one in the can because I am looking forward to the next episode because we'll get to talk about our experience in France. But 
when we come back from Paris, I'm going to be a very happy boy yeah. because I get my VR headset delivered from the Black Friday sales. Cool. And I'm pretty much going to lose myself into replaying Skyrim for the next 500 hours of my life. <laughs> I will be completely unavailable to man, werewolf or cattle in that order. That's the hierarchy I'll just of like availability. Throw food at you every now and then. I'll just open my mouth, my yawning maw, and you just throw in <laughs> little cocktail weenies. I'd so, like yeah. to do this. Let's do this and film it. That's how you get YouTube viral fame. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, speaking of language, let's go back. We um we're going to Paris. I'm very nervous about I know it seems silly, but I'm really nervous just about speaking to anyone in terms of like, how do I start? Do I say I don't speak French? Do I ask them if they speak English? Or do I just try to get what I want by using what I have? Which is, before we go into a place, I quickly learn a phrase because I can't retain anything. I'm officially old. And then say the phrase... Or do I say, I don't, like, you know what I mean, don't speak English? Or do I just point at things, be rude and just, like, point at things and say... I don't think it's rude. If you can't speak French, you can't speak French. But the idea is that you try and learn a, f a few key things. Yeah, you'll learn a few key phrases here and there, but you're not going to know the phrase for that box of cereal. You're just going to point to the cereal and Box say, I don't know. What a weird thing. My point is that we're only going for three days, so we shouldn't have to learn like this wide vocabulary yeah, of French. But we're going to be eating a lot. And so I worry that like, yeah, I just worry. The other thing is now with technology, things like Google Translate are essentially magic. Yeah, but it's so, you can't just like hold your phone up to the person and be like, Sure, I can. No, it's also probably going to be too loud for them to hear the phone because the phone thing. When it, am I talking to someone in a nightclub? When it does the Google Translate voice and you press the speaker, it's not that loud. In Our a voices rave. are way louder. Yes, we were going to a French rave. The thing that really blew my mind about Google Translate is you can just bring up the camera function, point it at a French sign or a French yeah. post or something like that, and it automatically translates it through the camera feed and shows you the English language on the poster. That's really cool. When I saw that, I was like, we are living in a sci-fi movie. <laughs> if you showed that to someone from like 30 years ago, they would think that you were a wizard. This is how untraveled we are. You're a wizard, Ryan. Yeah. Are you a wizard? <laughs> you could be a wizard. Do you know what that's a reference to? Yeah, Harry Potter. <sighs> what else could it be a reference to? All those other films about wizards. Sure. Like... You're a wizard, Harry. Merlin. Has there ever been a standalone Merlin film, do you think? There were, no, there were Merlin. There was that Merlin TV show, which was all right. I watched a bit of it. I heard that... You know that King Arthur film? Yeah, with Charlie Hunnam. Who's the British director behind that? Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I always forget his name. It looks good. I've heard it's really, really bad. Like really, heard, you know, I inconceivably hate, oh, bad. I heard it was bad. It was terrible. I'm never going to watch it. That's such horse shit. Okay, that's fair. But I've heard from people whose opinion I respect that it's not a good film. Whose opinion do you respect? Johnny Film Critic, <laughs> our next door neighbor. He's always giving me his top tips about mm. 
this month's blockbusters. So anyway, I've heard that it is just atrocious, like a total train wreck. But apparently they had already, before this film came out, planned out this whole series of films. There's going to be like a standalone Merlin film and like a, a spin-off of this character and whatnot. And then when this film came out and was completely panned and apparently didn't do that well at the box office, th- all of those planned future films just got through in the dustbin. Oh. What was this film? Charlie Hunnam, what's it called? I don't know the exact title. It's a King Arthur film. Yeah. Is it just called Arthur? I don't know. I think it's King Arthur colon something. Oh, okay. You know how films always do that? They put the colon blah, 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 so that the next film they can keep the first part yeah. and make it into like a franchise. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was me. funny how they were so presumptuous mm. of counting their chickens. How did we get onto this? Hatched. We were talking about French. Just before food, we get back to bistros. France. Talking of absolutely unconscionably bad films, we watched most of Kong Skull Island, and it. <laughs> I'm not saying this for hyperbole. I'm not saying this for dramatic effect. It had essentially no redeeming qualities. There was no scene of the film that I thought was in any way good. No. I couldn't believe how bad it was. The dialogue was terrible. Like, Which is really to be terrible in a King Kong yeah, film. Yeah, but in like action movies or big movies like that, you're not necessarily there for like the riveting story and like the great dialogue. But the dialogue was it wasn't even like good bad the way like shitty movies usually are. It was like no. Also another thing, and this I don't know why I really caught like have like hung on to this but because i said it several times while we were watching it tom hiddleston is in it and he's supposed to be like this like special this is like ex independent like special ops guy yeah he's like something. a mercenary ex yeah and something. he we had watched like three quarters of the film right he had done absolutely nothing in the film and had barely any dialogue and i'm like why are you there also that whole, like, we need this guy and they find him in the, like, snooker hall or whatever Yeah, they go to, like, Thailand to search him out. That's basically when he has his only scene, if you know what I mean. The rest of the time, he's just, like, there, doing nothing. He's just window dressing. And I don't understand. He's Why? there so you can say, oh, that's Loki. I remember him. He was in that <laughs> film about the Avengers. Loki's such a bad character. Well, I... You don't go to superhero films for good characterization, But do the you? Avengers films and stuff are actually all right. They're not like horseshit Yeah, but they're not stories. good because of their character building. They're good because they're spectacles. But the, what I mean is the character of Loki is so stupid. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But the thing is, I think maybe we mentioned this before, I'm very much a completionist where if I start something, yeah. like if I start a book and I get more than, say... Uh, a quarter of the way in even if i don't like that book very much there's just i have that ocd instinct to finish it i don't like to leave things unfinished once i've really started them i'm the opposite yeah that's true i sometimes can't even finish things that are my favorite because you balance me out you kind of deter me from carrying on with something that's a slog i'm like it's gonna take you four days to read this book you spent one day reading it you hate it stop you're gonna waste three days of your life yeah that's basically what i'm telling you 
I do. I do it with shows. It's like, could I watch all seven seasons of the show? Yeah, but Am I'm I at season it? one and it's so shit. Yeah. So my point is, I if I get past like the halfway point in a movie, chances are I'm going to finish it. Like ninety nine percent. Whereas we got like two thirds of the way through this film, and we just looked at each other and said, "Let's not <laughs> let's not do this to ourselves." We didn't even watch the two thirds in a row. We watched a bit of it, turned it off because we had, like, finished eating or whatever and it was just so bad. And then we basically had to watch it the second day because the thing we were trying to watch wouldn't play. Oh, yeah. So we were like, oh, we better just watch King Kong then. And then we finished eating and I was like, why was I watching this? Let's turn it off now. It was like fate was trying to force us to watch it and we were still like, no. So do you know what we went to watch? Westworld. Westworld. No spoilers, but... We only watched the first episode, but it was really good. I mean, we're not exactly breaking new ground by telling people that Westworld is good. I mean, I had put off watching it because I'd heard it was so dark. And it's one of those things where you have to kind of gear yourself up to watch something that's really unrelentingly dark. At least that's how I feel. And so, but eventually we got to the point where we need something to watch. What do we have? Um, I was going to say something else. The... The thing that instantly told me that this Kong Skull Island film was not going to be good was that within the first two minutes of the film, you see King Kong. Oh, yeah. I like... I have a a soft spot for those, like, big monster films. And, in fact, Cloverfield is one of my favourite films of all time. And we did like the King Kong with Jack Black. We both did say that we'd be... Yeah, it's not bad. We did like that It's not bad at all. And... The first half of Cloverfield is maybe pound for pound my favourite part of any film ever. Before they see the monster properly, that build-up, that tension, and that anticipation mm. of what, how big is it? Like, how much destruction is it wrought? Like, what does it look like? You also have a love for found footage. I love found footage. As a genre, <laughs> I will watch any tripe if it's through someone's video camera. But anyway... This film, I wanted it to slowly build and and then you see Kong later on, but it was like, it blew its load straight away. Like, yeah. here is a giant monkey roaring at these yeah. two guys. And I just knew that they did not understand what this type of film needs to be. It was bad, man. Yeah. Anyway, back to my favourite subject, Paris. <laughs> what is What are you looking forward to the most? The funny thing is, I've never gone on a, trip like this where i don't know almost anything about it because this is i've kind of deputized you to plan everything out because that i sounds trust really bad really what you should have said was it's your trip and you have yeah planned i everything. didn't mean it in a condescending way i i meant like i'm trusting you because i know Thanks. that okay <laughs> You know what? Forget it then. I'm not going. This is what he said to me. <laughs> he said to me that it's basically my trip, which in a way it is kind of my trip. It, um, But it's our trip. It was, But it was kind of like a present to me almost. And I said, okay, I want to go to Paris. Let's go to Paris. And so I have like basically planned everything of what we're going to do. Um, so, yeah. Go from there. You were yeah. saying what you were about to say, what your favourite thing was. I trust 
Well, my point is that I don't know because I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing. But what are you looking forward to? I'm look. I'm most looking forward to just walking through the streets and mm. taking in the atmosphere and the vibe of the place. Yeah. And looking at the old buildings and going down cobblestone roads and nipping into little independent bookstores on the corner, stuff like that. But I also know that you will have planned out things that I like. Yeah. We have very similar tastes in terms of what we want to do when we go somewhere like when we lived in london it was never like oh samantha wants to go here today it was like she wants to do this and that's the type of thing that i would have wanted to do if i'd known about that place and so i know i'm gonna have a good time it's actually nice not having to plan anything because i am so ocd and i want to micromanage everything and really nail down day one we're going here and then we're taking this tube there and then we're taking this tube there and then there's a bus we have to take because i have done that it's nice to let somebody else do that and just go along for the ride so that's what i'm looking forward to it means though if anything goes wrong you get a hundred percent i'm in trouble (laughs) um yeah i'm excited to just yeah, I'm excited about everything. I can't really, even though I I asked you as if I had something in my mind that was like my most favorite thing that I'm looking forward to. I just it's gonna because we don't really like go places. It's gonna be really fun to just go on an adventure. Do things that like we because obviously. Part of the reason why we don't do too many things is because of where we are right now. And so it's going to be nice to kind of be free in, like, a place like that. Yeah, if we lived in Paris, we would do things outside all the time. Yeah. Just like when we lived in London. Yeah. We didn't do things all the all the time, like, every single day we're out. But we had places we wanted to go, places yeah. we wanted to visit. And there were still so many places we didn't see because you just can't, like, cover it all in the yeah. space of time. It's hard because I was yeah. at university and we didn't have that much money and a lot of things in big tourist metropolises like yeah. London need a significant amount of money to do. So we were just happy, like, people watching and going to, like, cafes and walking around. Oh, I love people watching in big cities. Yeah. It's just so, I find it very relaxing just to have, when we would sit in a Starbucks or whatever, especially that one in Liverpool Street Station, where it's right by all the people causing past, and not even really looking at particular people, but just kind of letting your eyes defocus and just these waves of people going past. It's almost like a screensaver on a computer. Yeah. I really like the, like, fast-paced way of London. Even though I'm not like that, I like being caught up in it and kind of, like, disappearing in it almost. Like, it's really a nice feeling. And just there being that many people, even though it does kind of, like... You know, you get anxious about it. It's, like, really nice to kind of just get swallowed in it sometimes. Or watch and, like, watch it, if you know what I mean, which is why we love people watching so much. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean. That's, for us, 
that's almost like a free benefit of any big place that yeah. we go. Just getting lost in the crowds and letting them sweep you along. And I like when we were in London, sometimes you don't have a plan. You just go to the yeah. center and kind of amble around. There's so many little side streets with cool stuff in. There's that occult bookstore by Piccadilly Circus, yeah. which, is, which I just found by going down a street one time. And it was super cool. That's the type of thing I want to find in Paris. I want us to just come across these cool little out-of-the-way places. Do you remember that place in London that's called like Book Alley or something like that? And it has, and it has second-hand like, Yeah, it's stores. just like bookstores all the way along. That was a fun place to go. Let's talk about Samantha the photographer venturing to Paris. Okay. Because you are taking, at least the plan is right now, it's in flux. It's been mutating day by day. But right now the plan is to take two different instant cameras. Okay. Tell us about this. Let me lay it out for you. I feel like an interviewer. (laughs) Obviously, just because of the way life is now, taking photos on my camera, even for like me who is a photographer it's the most easiest and convenient way to take pictures however i do have several cameras obviously i have film cameras and i have digital cameras i also have instant film cameras um i have i have a big dslr which is a digital camera but i had that for like money making if you know what I mean. Like, I got it to, like, do people's weddings and, like, the thought of maybe doing portraits or whatever just to, to maybe make money or, like, whatever. But it's not something I want to do or like to do. I have it because it's, like... It's almost, like, something that I felt like I had to have. As part of it, your toolkit. Yeah, even though I didn't really... I realise now I didn't really necessarily want because it's not that I don't like digital photography. I'm just not really into digital cameras, if that makes sense. Because obviously a phone is digital photography. Um, You're telling me little photos don't come out the bottom of your iPhone? (laughs) Um, And I really, really, really enjoy Polaroid. I have for a long, long time. R.I.P. I have... No, Polaroid is alive and well. Don't say that. I thought you told me they were dead and another company took yes, up the mantle. Polo- the original Polaroid company is dead, but there is impossible... So R.I.P. Okay, whatever. But you can still get Polaroid film because a company called The Impossible Company, basically, they remade everything, if you know what I mean. Um, they're not, I don't think they're called The Impossible Company now. They're called um, Polaroid Originals. Anyway. I bet they brought that name for cents yeah. on the dollar. Well, I think you got to a point maybe where they could just have the name. I, I don't know. I remember reading something about it. Anyway. And there were all these new Polaroid cameras. I have an old 600 Polaroid camera, which is one of the ones that you see most often. Like if you see people in like old movies using a Polaroid camera, that's the type of Polaroid camera that they're using. Um and then I also have a newer Polaroid camera, which is like a mini 70, and it spits out like really little 
Polaroids. And I used to have a wide one, so it gave me big Polaroids. Anyway, so I have two Polaroid cameras. Right now, there is colour film in the Mini 70 and there is black and white film in the 600. And the black and white film especially is going to expire slash come out shit if I leave it any longer. Also, what perfect place to use them than Paris. Um, How long does the film last when you buy it? Um, I wouldn't have thought something like that was perishable. I don't know exactly, but it does because people often sell their expired Polaroid film even for lots of money and people do buy it because sometimes it works completely fine. I think I've used expired film before and it worked fine, but you're not guaranteed it's going to work and so... You know. Well, the Polaroid company doesn't exist anymore. So yeah, because before sue? the Impossible Project did it, you were basically just buying Polaroid film from eBay. people that had it in their yeah. garage or whatever, or in their loft for like years. Um, I thought you were going to say, like, in my mind, I don't know why I jumped to this, but I had this idea that if you used, re- like, if someone was selling Polaroid film from the 80s or 90s, yeah. And obviously it was extremely expired. And then you used it. I thought you were going to say sometimes it's good because it creates like weird visual distortions. Yes, it does. It can do. Almost like a tie-dyed wave effect across the image. Yeah, you can get all kinds of effects from it. But it's not guaranteed Like it's not guaranteed what you're going to get. And if you don't want to experiment and you do just want to like get some shots of whatever, then it's probably not a good idea because you're not guaranteed of anything. Anyway, so I have this film, and I'm really, like, Polaroid is, like, it comes in waves. Like, I was really into Polaroid for a long time, and then I kind of, like, didn't use it for a while because it's so expensive. And I have film right now, so I would like to use it. So I, even though, because people who know know that you only get, like, either eight or ten shots of film in each um pack so even though there's so little shots compared to what you can get on a digital camera i right now still would prefer to take my polaroid cameras and i don't want to take all three cameras especially because the dslr is heavy so in my mind right now where i'm at is i'm not taking the dslr i'm taking the polaroid cameras and to some people that might be a bit weird because it's like i don't know i can't explain it but yeah. I do obviously I'm not into photography, but just as an outsider I find something very romantic about the idea of the instant camera mm. where with your phone you just point it generally in the direction of what you want and then just mash the shutter button 400 times to make sure you get a good shot. And one of them will probably turn out to be half decent. Whereas if you've only got eight I don't know what the word would be. Shots. Yeah, I wanted to say shots, but then it sounded like a gun. If you only have eight shots in your camera and you've got a whole day where you want to take, you know, several different pictures of different things, you have to really think about each one and make sure that you're getting it Mm. right and think about, is this what I want the picture of the Eiffel Tower to be like? Is this how I want it framed? Is this the lighting? I really like that. It's obviously, in a sense, kind of outmoded, but that old-fashioned analog way of doing things also forces you to really think about what you're doing, and I like that. That is 
part of why it's so fun. Like, because you do have to think, like, I have my phone. I can take a, a thousand pictures while I'm there if I want to, which I probably will. Apart from your phone seems to always be out of storage. No, it doesn't. You're all, every time I take a photo, it seems it's like out of storage after I took two photos. That's not true. This is 100% This was my old phone that you're talking truth. about, which is like two years ago now. They're all the same to me, now, to be honest. This phone has like a lot more memory than I've ever had, and I haven't run out of memory once. Let me ask you this. How many photos do you have on your phone? Like 1,200. Didn't it used to be like 10,000? I remember oh, you yeah, had sorry. Some... I don't know why I said... Yeah, I have like 11,000... Yeah. You have I'm some obscene amount of photos on your phone. Yeah, I didn't mean 1,200. I meant 12,000. Right. I have 12,320 photos on my phone right now. That's preposterous. Is it? Just transfer them onto a hard drive. I do, but I keep the ones I want. And so you think have about... to keep 12,000... Just in case you need to see that one shot of Rudy okay. from July 10th, okay. 2004. Let me try to explain to you. If I go, when we lived in London, think, okay, we didn't go out every day, but we went out a, a lot across yeah. those three years. So think about how many photos I took while I was in London. Absolutely thousands. Of course. I, like many other people, like to post the, some of those pictures on Instagram, but I'm not going to like be like... I took 500 photos today and then then just post 500 photos. No, you want to be able to go back and say here's a photo from whenever of London or wherever. I get that. This makes sense to me. But if they're not on my phone, I can't do that. You can just go through them on your laptop and then transfer the ones you want to upload. Okay, but then you lose the, like, spontaneous. Yeah, I kind of get it now. Okay. But my point is... I don't want to be like, I want to post a photo on Instagram so I've got to boot up the fucking laptop and... Go through a million photos. I love when you say it. boot up the laptop like it takes two hours. You press the on button and it comes on four <laughs> seconds later. Yeah, but then I have. Look, look, don't question my methods, okay? Okay. So, so anyway, there's going to be lots of instant photos. The funny thing is, I'm trying to think if there's an equivalent of that in other art forms. I guess in writing, if you use a typewriter, yeah. You're kind of forced to just go with whatever you've already yeah. written. That's kind of an interesting idea. If you couldn't delete, it would kind of force you to mold you mold your mistakes into the prose and make them something good rather than something you just want to excise later. And obviously you can always use like a pen or tipex to cross things out and write things over it or whatever, or just start the page again. But I feel like you would make less changes just because it's not as convenient. So you would maybe think a little bit more about what you're going to write, but also you would also then let yourself flow more freely, I feel. I don't know, it's interesting. I had a... um. I had an electric typewriter, I remember, when I was, like, 10. My mum got me one. Awesome. I've always kind of liked writing, even though I never saw it as something serious. I would just write about anything, like what I did with my day. And then, and then a bit after that, when I was a teenager, I had an actual typewriter. Sure. Mm. Donated from the Tom Hanks collection. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny how everyone seems to know that little factoid about him? Yeah. And I saw an article where he was 
essentially promo in his new book of short stories. And they asked the obvious question, you have like 200 typewriters. Did you write any of these stories on them? And he basically copped to the fact that writing on the typewriters was too inconvenient, <laughs> which I thought was kind of hilarious. Oh, yeah, but I get collecting them just as aesthetic objects mm. to be appreciated. He has an app, I think, as well. The Hanks Writer app. I don't know. <laughs> you really tried to summon up the name <laughs> of this app in your memory. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so... Yeah, so about the cameras. So, yeah, I'm taking my Polaroid cameras. I'm now almost thinking I should, I could take a film camera. As a, a third camera? A 35mm camera. Sure. Who's going to be carrying these cameras it's around? It's hard, I it's ask. hard, okay, because... Yes, I don't want to be loaded up with a million different cameras and maybe I should just concentrate on one of them. But at the same time, we don't travel that often. This is my first trip. It's our first trip. It's my first time to Paris. I want to take advantage of that as best as possible. I just had this picture of you because you only have like eight shots or whatever. And you're like, these are going to be really significant photos that I take in Paris. And each one is going to be really fought out. I just imagined every time you tried to take a photo of the Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe, someone walks in front of you just as the flash goes off. Yeah. It's kind of, have, did you see the viral video that's been circulating in the last few days? It's a news station filming the demolition of a building from quite far away where the crowd is kind of cordoned off. Mm. And just as the roof of it starts to implode and all the explosives are going off, this huge like bus or coach or something pulls directly in front of the camera. No, that's funny. And so this one-off event where they were destroying this huge building, this news station didn't get any usable footage. That's funny. Yeah, that obviously is... But that's the joy of it, you know. I also really, I really enjoy the act of taking a picture. Not more than seeing the picture, but it's very close. And I have loads of film that hasn't even been developed yet because the joy of just, like, taking it is, like, so... It fulfills me so much. And so imagine the joy of taking a photo with a film camera. I get that extra setting up because you set up a shot still when you use like your iPhone, but you also know that you can take 20 shots of the same thing. There's a safety net. There's, yeah. So, yeah, basically what you said, like, it's going to be like, I'm going to be able to And you were work toying a little more. with the idea of turning our bathroom into a dark room, as I remember. Yeah, because I have all the equipment. Um, I used to use it like... When I lived with my mom, I used it there. And then afterwards, in my own place, I used it in my bathroom. And the only reason why I don't stopped using it is because I ran out of chemicals and I just never, never got any more. That's a very simple explanation. Yeah. But our bathroom would actually be quite good because there's no window. So you haven't got to worry about blacking it out too much. You just have to worry about the gap in the door at the bottom. And obviously that means there's not, because there might be people listening thinking, yeah, but there's no ventilation because there's no window. But there is a, a fan in the ceiling. And, you know, I wouldn't, 
it's easy to spend hours in there, but I would take breaks. We also have a big floor fan that could circulate air. Mm. I did ask you about that. Do you need to wear one of those masks? No, it's fine. <laughs> she says that she's like inhaling chemicals, like, chemical gases. Like, um, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not that tight. No, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me very worried no, about being around don't. these fumes. No, it's not that type of chemical. Whenever you ask someone if it's okay to inhale these fumes and they say, ah, you know, don't worry about it. People work in the dark rooms all day long and they don't wear masks. Like, it's fine. When I was at university and college, I would be in the dark room all day. There's a difference between it won't kill you and it's fine for your body. Okay, I don't know the exact science behind it. But <laughs> Evidently. No one ever said, don't do this because... Blah, blah, blah. Because it's fine. I don't think that's what that equates to. You know what? Just because no one ever told you it was harmful to your lungs doesn't mean... I have mean absolutely no interest. In, in continuing in this continuing diatribe? This. Yeah. Okay, so on that heady note of dissension between us, shall we move on to the first topic? What? You're so traumatic. I know. <laughs> I was actually a classically trained Shakespearean actor, don't you know? No. I was. I mean... Okay. I did two runs at the Spear. Wait, no. The I Globe. <laughs> that's that's how good of a Shakespearean actor I was. I forgot the name of the main theatre. That's funny. <laughs> I really regretted that I never went to one of their... Yeah, we went past it a bunch of times. And I saw it when I went on the boat tour. We went right by it. Um, I really like yeah, the idea of... It's kind of exposed to the elements a little bit. Everyone, I think you, I think the crowd stands. So it's very mm. kind of like rustic and old school. Yeah, I wouldn't enjoy that. Yeah, I wouldn't enjoy it if it's a four-hour production. I don't enjoy standing. <laughs> I don't think anyone enjoys standing. No, you but, just do it. But people are totally fine with it. You know, like when you are somewhere and someone say, I'll sit down and they're like, no, I'll stand. I'm like, no, I've never said that in my whole life. When I'm really, really tired and I know I have to stand because I'm queuing for something, sitting down is worse because then when I try and stand again, it makes that experience even worse. Can't it's wait. like when we're trying to stay awake sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you will just lay back and close your eyes, whereas <laughs> I will never do that because then if I spend five minutes with my eyes closed... And then I try and jump back into being like fully awake and alert. It makes it even harder. The only way I can relate to this is that when my feet are really hurting from walking, if I sit down, my feet hurt even more when I stand up. But the, but I need to sit down so much that knowing that my feet are going to hurt more in 10 minutes when I get up doesn't matter. Because that's how much I need to sit down. That's how much I hate standing and walking. Well, I guess there's not going to be a lot and of walking on our Paris trip. For anyone thinking that it's because I'm, I'm like a fat person, I didn't enjoy standing or walking when I wasn't fat. So that's fair. It's just not something I want to ever do. That's more than fair. <laughs> I do enjoy walking more when I'm in like a fun place, like being in London. And obviously when we go to Paris, it was like nicer to walk because walking around the city was fun it was an adventure but i would still sit down and stop whenever i could sure makes sense yeah i'm that guy who like needs to take breaks 
I've enjoyed... I haven't really been going on our stationary bike recently for exercise. Now that we have this old, old treadmill that was donated to us kindly yeah. from what looks like the 1960s space program. It works just as good as a new one, Judging by though. the yellowed beige plastic. Yeah. But I have enjoyed just walking on it for 40 minutes. Yeah. I like that low effort, low energy exercise. Because when I go on the bike, I really, I do a really hard 30, 40 minutes yeah. where I really pound away at the pedals. And you do it on like such a high... Yeah, and it takes a lot out of you for the rest of the day. Whereas sometimes I don't really have that much energy and I just, but I still want to do some physical activity. I want to get the dopamine flowing. Yeah, walking for me on the treadmill is so much easier than going on the exercise bike. Also, the exercise bike is so boring. Like, it's, even when I would watch shows, like, to kind of, like... Because I'm not someone who listens to music when they work out, because after, like, the second song, I'm like, okay, can this be over now? <laughs> I need a show or a movie to, like, totally take my brain away from the actual exercise. But it's still just so hard. So that's why I got the treadmill, because... Walking for 30 minutes, I only used to do like 15 minutes on the exercise, but I couldn't do any more. But work, walking on the treadmill for 30 minutes is so much yeah. easier. And it helps me more in terms of walking outside. It builds up my stamina, whereas going on the exercise bike didn't really do that. I get that. That was so boring. Okay, let's move on <laughs> to the next, under the topic. Okay, so the first topic is... What put it into my mind was this article on Ars Technica that I read a month or two ago, and I was thinking about again recently. It's entitled, More Than a Decade Later, How Do Original YouTube Stars Feel About the Site? And it goes back and chronicles some of the personal stories from a couple of the YouTube stars from the site's really early days, Mm. and they talk about their experience and how they got burned out by the gargantuan workload required to stay on top and try and monetize your videos. And it shows how they've now kind of fallen to the wayside. Like people don't know about them anymore. They've lost their fame. And I thought it was interesting because their fame was very fleeting. They really did have that 15 minutes of fame and then it went away and they were superseded by the next generation. And I think sometimes people today have this idea of the big social media stars, the YouTube personalities right now are going to be on top forever. They will be the juggernauts going on as this platform continues to evolve. But reading this it just reminded me that all of that is going to pass away and the next lot of people are going to come in and all of these personalities quote-unquote who have tried to set up so they have a career on this platform they are going to fall into eclipse and this idea they had where this was going to be their life is not going to work out the way And so, yeah, it just got me thinking, what effect is the chasing of this YouTube fame or this Instagram fame having on kids today? Where when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, when they're in school, so many of them say famous. 
as if that's a profession unto itself without really realizing that you have to become famous for something because they see these people on YouTube who seem to be famous just for being famous. And yeah, I just wanted to talk about what you think about that because, well, I'm not really into YouTube as we'll maybe get into as we talk about this. You are definitely way more into YouTube than I am. I watch the occasional video here and there, maybe. Do you mean you're not into YouTube as in you don't really watch anything on YouTube? No, I do watch stuff, obviously. If I need to look up trailers or... I follow a very small handful of people loosely. Like, if they put up a new video, I won't always watch the newest one. But every so often, I'll check back in and see what they've put out. But it's a very small handful of channels. Whereas some people... YouTube is almost their main source of entertainment. Yeah. Instead of coming home from work and watching Netflix or playing video games, they spend a couple of hours catching up on that day's vlogs from the hundred YouTubers that they follow. Yeah, I have only gotten into YouTube in terms of like that type of thing that you were just saying about like watching certain people and certain vlogs or whatever in the past year before that youtube to me was like look up clips of like whatever from tv shows and like listen to music on there and here's a cat playing with a head yeah before that year it was always just that and then about a year ago i don't i think i got into it from um watching like beauty videos like i really because I really got obsessed with lipstick about two years ago, about a year and a half ago, like re-obsessed with it. And I got, you know, I was constantly on like a spree of like, I want this lipstick, I want that lipstick. And because I'm very, like the way I go about it is I see a colour that I think I like and then I have to go and watch every single YouTuber in the whole <laughs> world who's ever bought it apply it to their own lips. So... And even once I'd ordered that lipstick or whatever and I knew it was coming and I'd already chosen it, I would still continue to be obsessed with watching people apply this lipstick. It was very strange and it became like an addiction for me. So that's kind of how I got into watching YouTubers. More. Yeah, because... Tap your mic down just a bit. Yeah, because a couple of people that I came across, I realised I really liked their videos. So I then went and watched all of their videos and they did other things other than like just putting on lipstick. They did like broader makeup videos and in some cases they did other things that weren't to do with makeup. And I branched out from there. I decided, okay, what would be fun is if I found a few people that I really liked watching. And then what happens is when you find them, you spend like your whole life watching all their videos up until now and then you can't wait until someone has uploaded a new video like it really does become that thing you know i don't watch that many though i watch about three or four hours of content (laughs) each day no there's a there's about no probably five there's probably like five youtubers that i really like that i wait for like i really enjoy when they upload their videos and i like follow them on every platform and like they're your hashtag girl gang yeah i'm so hip yeah 
I mean, not really, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just shut me down. The fact that you said, I'm so hip, means you're not. I'm down with apparently. the kids. I mean, I'm not down with I'm the kids I'm hip to either. their lingo. Sure. I'm jive to their... What does peng mean? We did see someone say this yeah. recently on a show. We were watching, and he was like, every other word he said was like a slang word. And we were like, what are you saying, man? Peng makes me think of, you know, when there are ancient vases and it will be something along the lines of, this is a first century Peng dynasty <laughs> Ming vase or something like that. That's what it brings to mind. But I'm guessing that's not where it basically means the good. etymology of this word comes from. Like, oh, that's Peng. Like, oh, that's good, that's cool, that's... Just say good, then. Yeah, I know. It's like, as if we haven't got enough words for that. Um, People love to have their own little secret subsection of language that only them and the cool kids know. So, in terms of YouTubers, so I basically watch, like, a couple of, like, beauty YouTubers, and then I watch a couple of vloggers. And this is the thing when we talk about, like... Isn't there a lot of overlap between the two, though? They're not, like, two separate categories. They are in that one of the beauty bloggers, or whatever you want to call them, beauty vloggers, um, beauty YouTubers, um, she only posts, like, makeup tutorials, makeup hauls, like... Let's compare this makeup product to that makeup product. It's all about makeup. It's all in her, like, special camera room with a special setup. You don't see anything else. Whereas, like, someone else I follow will occasionally do, like, here's all this new makeup I got. But but their channel is much more, I mostly post vlogs. Here's a vlog of what I did today. Or I'm going to Japan. Here's a vlog of Japan. Or I'm going to dye my hair. Here's a... Like, it's very a mixed bag. And these people that I like, I will just watch them fold laundry. Like, (laughs) I realise sometimes, I am watching you clean your house. What has the world come to? Are they talking? Are they narrating? Yeah, like, sometimes. And the thing is, I really enjoy it. I think it's along the lines of this, like, ASMR type thing. Because... It really soothes me to have... You know when, like, you go to someone's house and they have the TV on but they're not watching it? It's just like that. Like, sometimes I might not watch the vlog really carefully. I might be on my phone or I might be doing something on my laptop. But having it on is just like having the TV on in the background. That's my TV. I totally understand that. Another thing is, is I do like... The other type of video I watch is I like mukbangs. I feel like I didn't say that properly. Mukbang? Mukbangs? Isn't it just a made-up word? No, it's a Korean word. Oh. It means eating show. It originally was you would live stream yourself eating a ridiculous amount of food. That's what a mukbang is, an eating show. There was an 80% fatality rate amongst the original mukbangers. (laughs) But now it's just watch me eat. So it's not necessarily like get loads of different food. It's just you could be watching me eat a packet of crisps, like as little as that. It's not Kobayashi eating 400 hot dogs. Yeah, but people do do challenges. They'll do challenges of like trying to see how much they can eat. There's also like it overlaps with the ASMR community because a lot of people do ASMR mukbangs where 
you you can only hear the sound of them eating. They don't talk. Everything else is quiet. Sometimes you can't even see their face, and you just hear them eating. Uh, before I ever came across this, I was one of those people who were like, if someone is chewing really loud in real life, it will annoy me. And otherwise known as a sane person. Yeah, most people have that. They hate the sound of people eating. However. I watch mukbangs as like as like foreplay for my meal, okay? I don't eat while I watch mukbangs, and if I've just eaten, I'm not interested. It's like trying to watch porn after you've just had an orgasm. You're not interested anymore. So I will watch mukbang for like anywhere from a few minutes to like an hour and a half before I'm going to eat because it kind of like really gets me like hungry <laughs> gets those digestive juices flowing i really enjoy it like okay i sometimes i will just certain people if they're like talking while they're eating i have that on if it's that type of thing where i'm kind of doing other things at the same time but if i really want to have it as like a i'm going to be eating in a bit so i'd like to watch some mukbang that it has to be they can't be like talking about stuff like I prefer the ASMR or just quite like you very want just little pure talking. Your mastication yeah. noises, and because mukbang is a new thing, and like everyone and their grandma is doing it, I don't think everyone understands why people like mukbangs. Like, there's so many people who do it, and you can't hear them eating, you can't see the food. It's like the whole idea is that I get to see that juicy piece of chicken, and then I get to hear the crunchy sound of it. Like the skin, like when you bite it, that's like a big thing. And if I can't hear the food sounds and I can barely see the food, you've jumped on this bandwagon and you don't understand what you're supposed to be doing. And so... How dare you? Everyone and their mother is doing this. Um, so does it make you hungrier? Yes, it makes me hungrier. Like if if I watch, have been watching Mukbang and I think we're about to eat and then you say to me, no, we're not going to be eating for another two hours... Oh, we're like, but I'm dying over here because I've just spent this amount of time getting myself wet, if you know what I mean. So no, I absolutely <laughs> I refuse totally to acknowledge it. what that could possibly mean. I totally mean. mix it. However, you sometimes, because I do, I am a person that looks at YouTube comments. I don't ever comment myself, but I do. It's always look, a mistake to yeah, do Yeah, I but. know, but I do it anyway. And so a lot of people say, I'm on a diet and I'm trying not to eat, so I watch mukbangs and it makes me not hungry anymore. And I'm like, that's the total opposite effect it's having for me and obviously a lot of people who watch mukbangs. Also, a lot of people will watch mukbangs while they eat because it's like eating with someone um, if they don't have anyone to eat with. This is so strange, the different permutations. Yeah, so... I'm sorry, I never knew that I was giving you blue balls of the stomach by yeah. saying we weren't going to eat after you'd already prepared yourself with an hour of that, hardcore mukbangs. Yeah, I've never really said it to you quite as explicit like that, but that is exactly what it is like. If I know food is in sight, I will then watch some mukbang. I, on the other hand, <laughs> mukbangs are essentially my worst nightmare. <laughs> I think I played one out loud before and you were I like, hate it. stop, stop I right don't now. like watching people eat. I don't like hearing people eat. I also don't like people watching me. That makes me very uncomfortable and anxious <laughs> because I don't think it's inherently gross. 
It's a normal... I the grosser, the better, though, in my oh, case. Oh, please don't that go on. That sounds weird. I don't mean grosser, but what I mean is I mean messier. The graphic, the more graphic it is. Like, I want to see the food on your mouth. I want to see your wet lips wet. I'm really getting into details. <laughs> I've never said this out loud before. I want to see the person's lips wet. I want it to be like I'm eating something juicy. And I can tell you're eating something juicy because it's all over your mouth. And... I can hear the sound of it, and this is so gross to other people. <laughs> I get it. I really get it. And that's why some people have rules. Like, I've seen in the comments so people like, don't wipe your mouth. Because there are some people who will take a bite and immediately wipe their mouth with a napkin, and you're taking away part of what some people are there for. Then it's just softcore mukbangers. <laughs> yeah. So people have all these rules. <laughs> So, yeah. A man must have a code, after all. <laughs> I really enjoyed your description of that. <laughs> this whole term of food porn, yeah. quote-unquote, is obviously very appropriate if that is how you and mm. presumably so many of us are consuming that content. Whereas, yeah, for me, watching it would make me lose my appetite. Yeah. It would gross me out. But that's the weird thing about YouTube. There's so many niche communities and you mentioned ASMR videos, and I do like ASMR videos. Before you go on to that, I wanted to say one more thing about the food. In a way, you could say it does help me in terms of, like, um, food addiction slash binge eating. Because if I'm having a day where I feel like I'm constantly getting up to get something new to eat because I just can't, like, satiate myself... If I sit there and watch mukbang for like an hour or more, that's an hour that I've stopped myself from eating because that's I don't want to eat while I watch it. I want it to be the thing I do before I eat. So it might, yes, it might be a case of putting off the inevitable, but when you have an addiction or a binge eating problem, that's giving yourself a gap between food. It allows yourself a measure of control. Yeah. You can kind of substitute that for the act of eating for a certain period of time. It allows you also to play out the fantasy of like, I'm sitting here thinking, oh my God, I wish I had this to eat. I wish I had that to eat. I want to eat this. I've got this in the fridge and this in the cupboard. I'm going to eat them both. But instead I could just watch someone eat a pizza, then watch someone else eat some chicken, then watch someone else eat a curry, then watch someone else eat a sandwich. And it's like, it's fulfilled me a little bit. And I get that. Yeah. Because food is at least in some part a psychological enjoyment of course yeah it's not just the mouthfeel of this yeah. gunk going down your esophagus how dare you call it gunk? <laughs> it's also planning out i'm going to have this meal and i really enjoy this particular uh, dish and this is the order i'm going to eat the things in and then i'm going to have this dessert and so there's definitely a mental aspect yeah. to it Go ahead, anyway, ASMR videos. Yeah, I don't really have that much to say about them. They're obviously, from the outside, extremely weird and kind of bizarre. Yeah. And I can see how, if you don't understand what people get out of them, you could look at it and think it's almost like porn, but... Yeah. It's hard to describe. It's because, in a sense, it is someone doing something on camera, which is supposed to make you feel good. Yeah. And because there's such a direct link of I'm trying to create gratification in the watchers, there is almost that pornographic element in it. But 
I enjoy them because I find them very calming. Yeah. If I'm anxious, they are almost like not quite strong enough to bring me back to baseline, but kind of like you were saying with the mukbangs, it gives me something else to focus on. It gives me something else to just lose myself in. And they do have a very calming effect if I find the right one. And then there is also the very peculiar ASMR phenomenon itself. Yeah, because I don't think everyone knows what that actually yeah, means. It's like a scientific term. I don't know how much scientific literature there is to support that this is a real thing. But the idea is it's the head tingles. Mm. And I mostly get it at the back of my head. It's very targeted in me where some people say they feel it all over the head and in other parts of their body like their neck and their shoulders but it's that tingly feeling you get which is kind of pleasant and you often get it in situations where um like popular asmr videos are where someone is looking into the camera and talking directly to you and maybe touching your face or, so they like touch the camera yeah. so it looks like they're touching you. And when you get that personal attention, sometimes it creates that strange head tingle feeling. Mm. And yeah, I can't really explain why I like them beyond that. It's one of those things where you have to try it. Yeah. And if you if it works for you, you will get it instantly. And if you don't, it will seem incredibly bizarre and just like there's a bunch of lunatics pretending to see doctors on youtube the asmr mukbang crossover really is just the person will whisper and so they think automatically that means it's asmr or they won't speak at all and so you can only hear the um food sounds which is a form of asmr just the same way as like making certain tapping sounds or making whatever um, it doesn't give me the head tingles, the mukbang ASMR. It just, I enjoy it in terms of like the mukbang. Um, and watching like vlog channels soothes me, but not the same way that ASMR does that head tingly thing. I'm trying to think of the things that make me have the head tingles. It's usually when like someone touching my fingers or like... Yeah, stroking my fingers or, like, touching my foot or something. That gives me the head tingles, like, a lot. And occasionally outside things, like, certain videos will too. But um, but I I don't really get it. Like, watching the type of ASMR videos that you do doesn't really give me... Like, I'm not into Yeah, I that. think it's very yeah. specific to each person what will work. Could you like certain ones... I like the ones where they're talking to you and they're somehow physically engaging with you or pretending to. So they're either touching your face or they're like holding your hand or they're like tapping you or something along those lines. Or they're doing like some kind of spa yeah, facial or makeup or something along those lines. But would you say it's not sexual? Or no, it is... it's not sexual yeah. in any way. I didn't think it's so. someone pretending to tap my face. <laughs> the idea that I, I'm getting some kind of sexual thrill from that. Some people probably do, though. Maybe yeah. there's a fetish for everything. Of course, mm. it's the internet. But I, th- what's interesting is going back to what you were saying about the 
makeup videos you watch and what how you find them so satisfying yeah like watching someone apply makeup is really kind of soothing not in a head tingly way just a kind of like relaxing like i could just watch you do that over and over and over again that's why i think all of these videos or types of videos that we've mentioned they all kind of fall in the same category where it's visual stimuli that's very satisfying yeah. that really meshes with what your brain wants and that's why you can watch someone applying mascara there's something about someone doing that that the swipes of the fingers and the color applying to their eyes mm. it's almost like that is the exact right key code to make your brain happy it it goes directly into your visual cortex or whatever the proper neuroscience word is and it unlocks all of those happy chemicals the thing that i used to watch before i knew mukbang was a thing like i remember seeing a mukbang video and then it exploded like that was when it i basically saw it as it was exploding that's why i saw it probably um before that you know those like tasty food videos of like them preparing food it's like a, it's all condensed down to like a minute and you see like the whole thing being prepared you don't really see a person it's from like a bird's eye view of like oh, the table you sometimes see those recipe gifts on yeah, reddit yeah but they're taken from videos of like about a minute long or whatever or less than a minute i used to just watch those right not as much as the mukbang ones i didn't get as much pleasure but it used to do the same thing where it was like i'd do it before i ate and then when I realised mukbang was a thing, I was like, whoa, I didn't know I needed this, but I did need it, and it's amazing. It's like watching 30-second porn gifts yeah. and then finding that there are full hour-length $10 million <laughs> yeah. porn movies. And you do kind of treat it in the same way that you would porn in that, you know, how you find, like, the videos that you like and the people that you like. But then sometimes you're like, why have I just sat there and watched the same four videos as I watched yesterday when I could just type in mukbang, mukbang and get a million different videos? So it is also fun going back down the rabbit hole and finding, like, new ones. Or if you want to, like, watch, like, a specific thing being eaten, you will find it. Like, you just will, because everyone, you know. Um, and so to transition a little bit, is this the same type of thing that you get out of vlogs is it that same kind of visual satisfaction or is like you just alluded to is it the fact that you like that person and you find them engaging and interesting yeah i mean yeah because i do when i find like a mukbang that i like i then go and see what other mukbangs they've done or i'll subscribe and then watch their new ones um so I think it really, all of these things do depend, I think, for me, on finding people you like to watch. So now I look forward to the new videos of these people that I like to watch. Or sometimes I'll go back, because I haven't watched all the videos that they've sure. ever made. I've watched like a big chunk of them, but I haven't watched all of them. So then sometimes if I'm like waiting for a new video to come out or whatever, um, I'll go back and watch some of their others. Uh, 
Because I think it is important when you find people that you really like, they hit those, all those notes, like everything about it is good, like they have a good setup, you like the way their camera looks, you like the way their sound comes across, you like the way they speak, you like their content that they're putting out, you like how often that they're putting content out, because there's people who like their YouTubers but they only put out content once a week or once every two weeks, and then there are some people that I watch who put content out they try to sometimes do everyday content and that's like when it's really you're really like you get like addicted and you, I just can't have enough it's right. like when people put out five minute videos I'm like no they're like oh I cut loads of stuff out because it was boring and I'm like I would watch you on the toilet <laughs> a 24 okay, hour toilet, live but, stream yeah the, that kind of in a sense makes me think of something that was mentioned in the article where one of the vloggers that was mentioned, she said that at her peak, where she was doing like 30 videos a week, she would think 30? about... Is that a lot or not a lot? 30 a week would be like five, six videos a day. Yeah, but if they're just one minute long. Oh, yeah, that's stupid. She basically said that it consumed her whole life, where yeah. she had to create so much content every day that say the example she gives is if she was invited to a party she would say can i film there and if some of the people there would be uncomfortable with that she wouldn't go because she just didn't have time yeah. to go somewhere where she couldn't use that for content and she said that was an extremely dysfunctional way to live your life because everything becomes about how can i translate this to youtube instead of I'm living my life yeah. and then some of it I document incidentally for YouTube. You see in like some of the vloggers that I watch, like sometimes they'll say things like, oh, I did. I went to such and such, but I decided not to film because I just didn't want to have to worry about it. But then some vloggers, they will just film every single thing they do and it's like now just become a thing. Everyone they know knows they're going to be filming, etc., um, I don't know, it's strange. Because then you also, yeah, it's just odd. I can't imagine. It, it's hard as well if you're trying to put out content every single day. When do you have a break? Especially if it's like a vlog channel, you film everything you do that day and then on the evening, what, you presumably start editing it and then or you're a few days behind or ahead so that you're not constantly doing it the day of, you know? Um, but you're still filming and editing every single day. That that would be... I mean, obviously, the idea for a lot of these people is that it is their full-time job. But I think sometimes it becomes more than full-time because you don't finish at five. You film until you go to sleep or you film until the evening and you edit all day. And, and when you're not editing, you're constantly on social media, keeping up appearances. It becomes your whole life. So that's what I understand sometimes when people are like, I've been working like so hard or whatever, like on my YouTube. And I know that some people might, you know, roll their eyes at that. But when you think, <laughs> obviously it's a different type of hard work than like manual labor. Sure. But you're still doing something all day, every day. That's work, you know? I don't know. I think YouTube is changing in terms of like, you know, Recently, I've seen a lot of people, they're constantly changing their algorithm, so videos aren't getting the same type of attention that they once did. 
Um, also because it's so saturated now, I think they have changed the way they pay. Like I think it used to be relatively easy to get money and now it's a bit harder. There's also um, some videos that can't get advertisements anymore. Yeah, like you can't swear, you can't show certain stuff. I think there have to be certain lengths, etc. Sometimes I think they can just demonetize your... Like I was watching someone and she was saying they demonetize it and I don't know why they didn't... like. That I think she went to somewhere that had the word Satan in is it Satan in it, but it was just called that, right. like a cemetery or something. There was a no cemetery that had the word I Satan don't know, in it. Something <laughs> weird like that. There was no like devil worship in the video. There was no talk of Satan in the video. It was like the name of something, and they demonetized the video because of that. It was just Alistair Crowley's gravesite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of people complaining about that, yeah. and it's almost like. The funny thing is, I saw this really interesting comment on Reddit, and I'd like to give the guy credit, but I can't remember his name. But he really made an interesting point. It was like a long comment where he said, if you go back 15 years and you look at how people put themselves online, there was a lot of just making your own personal website. And then when you kind of got an audience and you got some kind of following it was like oh yeah go to that guy's website he has this really cool essays about this or these really cool videos about that or these animations or these little downloadable flash games whereas now everyone just has their own little silo on this giant monolithic platform if you become a popular vlogger, you don't have your own website that people can go to and you can control everything. You have your own YouTube channel. And if YouTube decide that they want to demonetize your videos because they're controversial in some way, you are yeah. basically screwed. You can't then make a living out of what you're doing. And so everyone comes under these giant corporate umbrellas and then they are in a sense, kind of subject to their capricious whims. Mm. YouTube can take your career away from you like that by just changing the search algorithms and making it so that your videos appear on the sixth page instead of the top of the first page. Yeah, They can make and break people. And so there is that kind of hushed tones of don't upset the corporate behemoth. Don't upset your masters. Yeah. They can completely destroy people if they want to or they can in a very artificial sense make people into stars by just pumping those clicks into their particular channel it's got to be harder for new people obviously because i think if you've already got so many thousand or so many million subscribers or you get so many of those views if YouTube starts demonetizing you or whatever, your viewers are still going to want to see your content. So you might necessarily not get as much money, but you're still going to get the views. And what you're going to think is YouTubers get paid in so many ways. Like they get not, not only can they, they get money in terms of like their views, right? And you can either get money from views by monetizing them, I think yourself via YouTube, or you partner with places and that's how you get paid but like if you see some of the shit that like beauty youtubers get they don't just like the big ones they don't just get makeup they get like laptops and like gadgets for their houses they get sent on holidays let's all go to like bora bora and and 
show you these new lipsticks while we're there. Like, it's so weird, the amount of shit that they get. And, like, some of them are going to, like, they get invited to award shows and premieres. And it's like that thing where it's, like, once you're famous, you don't have to pay for anything. Right, yeah. So while they still have to pay their rent, they get all their makeup free because they don't, they got, they get PR from everyone. And the more makeup companies that are popping up, the more companies send them stuff. And is the idea that the non-makeup gifts that they're getting are kind of bribes to make sure that they have that company's name in their mind when they do the next video? I don't know if it's a bribe, but like, what, a big thing is obviously unboxing. So even if you don't make an actual YouTube video for it, you're on Snapchat or Insta stories saying, oh, look what I got today. Like, companies aren't always saying, I don't know exactly how it works, but they're not always saying you have to show this. But they're just throwing gifts at you so that you will mention them in some way. Um, they're also then in your good graces yeah, if you blow up and become one of the biggest YouTubers. Exactly, yeah. Um, That's so strange. But there's also perks in terms of like, there's one YouTuber I watch, and she has like, because she's she's like, people are always asking me where, where where they can send stuff to. They want to send me some like fan mail or whatever. Here's my PO box. Yeah. So then they make a PO box, and of course, yes, they get letters. But what follows is gifts from their fans. I've seen like this girl get like GoPros. A, a, a thing to put in your house to watch your dog when you're not there. You know, those little camera things. Like, all kinds of shit expensive that's, like, really expensive. Stuff. So there's perks here, there, and everywhere. And, you know, it's cushy if you can get yeah, it. Like for sure. I mean, I have thought about starting a YouTube channel, like, over the years. Like, here and there, I'll think about doing it. And I think about what, the, the, the trick I think people get stuck into is I've seen this and this looks amazing and part of what looks amazing is because you have lots of people who want to see what you're doing which is A, amazing B, you get lots of free shit C, you get paid and hopefully you get paid enough that you don't have to do a shit job okay but then it, you get stuck into I don't actually know what I want to do. I just want those perks. Yeah. That's why there's loads of YouTubers who don't, they all put in at the same content because they just want to be a YouTuber. Like they're not saying I want to be this and I'm going to YouTube it along the way. Right. Like my life is so fantastic already that I'm going to be a vlogger because there's plenty of vlogs I've watched and they don't do anything. Which is fine because I like to watch them. If yeah. I like that person, I will watch that vlog. They can be doing anything. But then, like you said, they all kind of have the same feel. Yeah. It becomes like this homogenized pabulum where everyone knows that the 11 minute daily or weekly vlog where you talk about things that happened and then you cut to really well shot footage of like wherever you were uh, and when you're giving like a long monologue about it it has those fast jump cuts so it seems like you have really pitch perfect skills of oration uh, every single vlog that i've ever seen which is very few they all just <laughs> look the same like down to the most minute specific visual details that's why i think you have to find people that you like that's why it's obviously the case we know because there's so many big youtubers now um that if you find someone you like they can be doing the same thing that everyone else is doing but i think i'm really picky i said i watch youtube all the time but i only watch about five different people well if you can't like 
beauty YouTubers, vloggers, and mukbangers. There might be 10 people. Right. That's really not a lot. That's because it's hard to ca- catch me. It's hard to, like, make me want to watch you do all the different things that you're doing. Um, because they have to have a certain type of personality. They have to not say stupid shit. Like, if they seem like a dickhead, but they're putting out good content, I still don't want to watch because they seem like a dickhead. Like, so, yeah. So, like I said, if you, if people like you, you could do whatever you want. That's, to bring it back to the very original thing I wanted to talk about, that is very strange, though, because you have all these young people and kids watching these vloggers obsessively and it becomes like this cult of personality where i really love blah 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 johnny vlogger and every day i watch his video and he's so amazing and i'm so in love with him and he has such an incredible life but to what extent is the vlogging being done by the big youtube personalities true to life what degree of deception is contained in it to make it all look so much glossier and so much more fun and so much more upbeat and incredible and i did all these experiences and i got all these free gifts and my life's amazing how much of that is put on so that people watching it almost have that reverence for the person in particular well i think you've just got to try to be as realistic as possible in that if you're watching like a vlog by someone and it's only 10 minutes then it's obvious that you're not seeing their whole life, you know? And some people, you don't see anyone around them. Like, if they're, like, a beauty YouTuber and they're not vlogging, it's just, like, beauty videos, it's very isolated. It's like, I'm just watching this one person do this one thing in this one room, in this one location. And then there are others where... By watching like vlog upon vlog upon vlog, you get to get a sense of what they are like, despite what they're trying to show you, because you see like the inside of the house, you see the trips they go on, you see like they end up talking about things maybe they didn't know they were going to talk about. Um, I don't know, you do get to see, it depends on how many videos you watch, how transparent the person is being. Like you put some vlogs on and they're very like, as if they're on a TV show, like a children's TV show, and they're, like, presenting. Like, they're very, like, hi, this is me, and this is what I've got to show you. And then there's, like, they've just put the camera on and gone about their regular life. You you can find vlogs like that. But do they rise to the top? Because they're, Um, although they're more realistic, they are sometimes more drab, because that person didn't mm, go on a crazy shopping spree that day. Well, there's a couple of I watch like that who have like a million at least followers right which to me is a lot like i don't understand the ecosystem i don't know what's classed as like a lot a million sounds like a lot yeah but i don't know if like because there's a couple i watch who are clearly living off of this yet they've got like a hundred thousand subscribers and or like eighty thousand subscribers and they get seven thousand views per video because it's never the same the amount of subscribers you have is not ever the same as your likes some people don't seem to have as many subscribers but they get loads of views because of the content i don't know what's stopping people from subscribing and then some people will have two million subscribers but they don't get two million views they get less um 
I forgot what my point, my point was. <laughs> um, oh, do they rise to the top? Um, I don't know, but that's what I'm saying about the numbers. I, I don't know what number it is you need to be at to get to live off this. Because like I said, I know some people who have like 7,000 views and they're living off this. Right. And they don't have loads of perks like the others because they don't have as many views. Um, it depends how well you leverage that Yeah, it depends on have. what you do with it in terms of like who you partner with, if you partner. Because there's another guy who gets about the same views and he does mukbangs. But he's like, I'm struggling to live off it. But then again, it's like, where do you live? You know, one of them might live in like a London type place and the other one might live in the country. Right. You know, so, yeah. I definitely, I understand why people for whom YouTube is their main thing, they need to insert ads and partnerships and sponsored stuff and whatnot. But that definitely does put me off a lot because there's a very fine line between the occasional mention of we're sponsored by Squarespace or MeUndies as people who listen to podcasts will be well-versed in the products of. But then there's the case where someone's putting out five minutes of content every couple of days and the first minute and a half of that is an ad read yeah that's where i completely turn off i I can't deal with that it doesn't interest me because i feel like the content itself is just tacked onto the ad in or like bait on a fishing hook yeah and i feel like i'm being manipulated i'm being used instead of enjoying sorry (laughs) for the love of god i'm sorry let me get to the end of the sentence and you can jump in instead of me enjoying this person's content i feel like i'm much more aware of the fact that i'm being drawn in there's that saying online where if something is free you are probably the product because you are being sold to their advertisers for them to make money yeah it's like what can i do for three minutes in order to get this money from this sponsor Whereas I'm not really into short videos because usually, like I said, I watch YouTube because I like them and they're, what they're doing comes secondary. Um, so I'm someone who like, like, you know, when someone puts a vlog out and it's only like, it's a weekly vlog and it's like 12 minutes long. And I'm like, what are you showing me in 12 minutes that you've done in a week? Like, this should be half an hour at least. And one of the ones I watch, their weekly vlog, as well as, because they put other content out as well, but then they also do a weekly vlog is usually about 32 minutes long and I'm like yes this is exactly what I want or I want daily vlogs which are like 10 minutes um I'm not into this like he's my five minute video because usually that doesn't catch me it needs to be longer um again I lost my point I guess (laughs) I understand what you're saying though I like long form content oh I I was gonna say something about this but you don't like the sponsorship and right the, okay i think if you're like you become like a fan of like a youtuber you can usually tell i feel whether they're like selling something to you because they have to or whether they actually like it like one of the ones i watch um she does like barely any spot she doesn't put ads in her videos she doesn't um she only does sponsored stuff every now and again and she does sponsored videos separate from her regularly scheduled stuff so it's all very clear and to me i feel that she goes about it in the most honest way that she can be 
And then there's like someone else I watch and she she basically does like most of her sponsored stuff is through Instagram, even though she's a YouTuber as well. So she'll post like a picture of herself with a big thing is there's like several things that are like big that everyone will know. One of them is like hair vitamins and they're called like sugar bear hair i don't want to give them the <laughs> shout out but sh- yeah we'll contact them for a couple of cents they're like these cute little teddy bear vitamin things and they may work we can push tens of views your way yeah but something like that i think also you end up just being wary of something that's out there so much that's like you know being pushed by influencers as what they're called um and she basically throws up a picture now and again, holding them, just saying, get your... She doesn't say, like, give up, reel off this massive thing of, like, I've used these and my hair's so healthy and blah, blah, blah. She just says, buy these, blah, blah, blah. And that's more of an honest, like, they're paying me, so I will post a photo, but I'm not going to oversell. And but I'm fine with that. then she's going to get paid less, right? No, because from what I understand is the company tells you what you have to do. Um, and if they don't give you, because there was this thing about um, someone to do with the Kardashians, bringing up the Kardashians again. Continuing our unbroken streak. Yeah. Um, Scott, who's like the dad of Courtney's babies, um, he, I guess they all do like a lot of like sponsored stuff on like their Instagrams. He had clearly just pasted what they said to say. And he hadn't taken out. Oh, God. So it was like, write this in your description. And he'd left all that in. Um, So some companies obviously give you a script to post with it. Um, But yeah, that's what I'm saying. This person doesn't. She just basically does the bare minimum to get the money. And she even says things like, I know you guys hate it when I do sponsorships, but like, I, I need to get paid. Like, Of course. You that know, goes like, without saying. I think people who are like, get weird about like you, you've put in so many ads in your videos it's like okay but i'm gonna put three five second ads in my 15 minute video and you're gonna get to watch my 15 minute video which is gonna entertain you i don't see anything wrong with that i get that when they put like seven ads in like an eight minute video that gets a bit much but again they're entertaining me and i'm not paying any money for it and so I don't mind. I do like, which I think has become a recent trend, where people kind of, they take the script they're given for the ad read and then they kind of, not poke fun of it, but they are very self-aware yeah. and they break the fourth wall a little bit and they comment on how stilted it is, but they're still getting across the specific points they're supposed to. I like when you kind of play with it and put your own stamp on it because if i'm watching your content i like your personality i like your so style. yeah that's what i was trying to say like if i like you you can almost do anything but when people it's literally just like subscribe to squarespace <laughs> you can make your own website from ten thousand templates listen to these testimonials <laughs> that's when if you make me listen to two minutes of that i I know obviously you can just skip forward, but sometimes that just turns me off so much that I'd rather just click on to the next video yeah. because YouTube is all about instant gratification. You don't, it's not compatible with the idea of I can click on any of these 10 billion videos and jump from one to another with a single click to then 
be saying to your audience hey could you just sit there for a second i need to read you a couple of things for five minutes and then you'll get the content that it doesn't gel very well yeah yeah so i have thought a few times about like because i feel recently as well i've been like redoing like my website and stuff because i have so many different things that i wanted to have everything like go to this one place and then you can have it's like a conduit for everything else yeah and i was thinking in my mind the only thing i don't do is videos and then i was like why don't i do videos and i think the reason is is i just don't everything i want to say i can say on a podcast you know and because my what i what i'm doing in terms of this it doesn't need to like have that visual if you know what i mean and i wouldn't be doing like vlogs because i i'm a homebody like i don't it would be so dull um today i was kind of depressed i watched netflix for four hours <laughs> i ate half a hagen dazs oh here's my cat yeah next vlog oh here's the cat again yeah and then I, yeah so and i'm not even though I watch, like, beauty videos, like, I don't, like, I couldn't do those. Okay. Like, I do, I know how to do my own makeup the way I like it, but I don't, like, you know, like, this, that's a different conversation. Like, yeah, it just wouldn't fit with me. Like, yeah. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be something that would be watchable. For me, there's a guy whose content I follow, and he started doing YouTube videos, the typical, like, just sitting there with a microphone talking into the camera. But it's clear that he's written a script. Yeah. He's written a 10-minute script where he talks about this specific topic. And before then, I know him from podcasts. Yeah. Just sitting down for an hour and a half and talking about something with other people. I don't know why I just explained podcasts <laughs> to the four grandmas out there who don't who aren't familiar it's with like, this what did my mum say hi mum by the way um <laughs> when she was like is it like a phone call or something like that do like they talk back she said do they talk back we're so doing cute. a google hangout with our fans <laughs> but yeah i discovered that i didn't enjoy when this guy would have this very polished very stilted read of this script i enjoyed him much more in a long form conversational way whereas when he tried to translate that to what is king on youtube i didn't like it anymore even though he's saying the same type of thing it has such a different feel because essentially just reading an essay to you if he's like written a script in terms of like here's all the stuff I want to say about this one thing and only me is talk. Yeah, it's like an essay. So I'm just reading out an essay. And it's really interesting. The thing you're talking about vlogging where a lot of times it really is just someone's life on screen. There's Sometimes they really are realistic with it where there isn't crazy stuff happening every day. But because you're viewing it through the screen, it's almost given that added entertainment value because it's a YouTube video. Mm. And it's strange how there's that very nebulous hard to pin down way that when you put it as a youtube video and people engage with it in that context you can take something that isn't necessarily that great on its own but if you give it to people in that form they like it more and there is now this rise of video essays where 
it's like here's me breaking down symbolism in the dark night for 11 and a half minutes yeah and i have to say i have been watching quite a few of them in the last month or two it's not something i ever paid attention to before and i've been wildly disappointed by how underwhelming they are Mm. because if you take 10 video essays nine of them don't need to be video and this is what i mean you look at them and you ask yourself, why did this have to be in the medium of video? Is there something specific they're doing with this video that couldn't have been conveyed in text or in a podcast? No, most of the time they're just using it as a crutch to kind of entertain you in the background. It's like, as I talk about something, here's an unrelated scene from The Dark Knight. They're kind of using other people's content as a background for what they're talking about. And then when you think about what they're actually saying is this a good essay if i saw this just as a 500 word essay in the new york times would i find it good and engaging and compelling no i wouldn't it's a very simple not very well structured not very persuasive argument they're making but because they're saying it you're not thinking about it in the same way as you would if you read it directly. And so they're combining those two things. The fact that they can be very lax with their writing, with their argumentation, because they're saying it and you kind of engage with it like you're listening to someone speak in a conversation. And then in the video that they slot it into, they're taking other people's content, they're using scenes from films, or they're taking just images from Google Images. And they're using that as a very superficial way to engage you and entertain you in a visual sense. And so as much as I'd heard how this was like the new frontier of essay writing and this was the new frontier of getting across ideas to people, when I actually went and watched the top examples of this type of thing, the ones that people say are really well made, are really polished, I was hugely underwhelmed by what they actually amount to. I think the reason, like, videos are more popular than, like, podcasts. Because I think the video, even if it is, like, something like that where they've just put something on screen while they're talking, it's giving you everything. It's giving you the sound and the visual. So it's capturing you more in some ways than a podcast would. And I also think, in my experience, a podcast listener is a specific type of person. It's a type of person who's like going on a journey so they need something to listen to or they're playing video games or they're doing something around the house so they put a podcast on or they're at work and so they put a podcast on just like a re- the radio, just like listening to music or the radio. Just like grandpa used to it's, do. It's exactly the same. And so while podcasts are obviously getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they're the biggest they've ever been, video has it all. Yeah. That's why. Um but I hate those types of videos. Sometimes I click on like an article and the article takes me, it's like as much as I don't want to click on like lists of things, sometimes I do. <laughs> and then you know what the list is? The list is in a video. Oh, God. So first of all, I didn't really want to read your fucking list. But now that it's in a video, I'm definitely not reading it. Like I want, if it's a list, I want to read it as a list and maybe have some pictures. But I don't want to like watch a video of a list where you just put in the pictures on yeah. this movie like 
Ugh. They take this 200-word BuzzFeed article of here's five crazy things you never noticed in Friends. And, and then, the, yeah. Yeah, it would have uh. taken you 10 seconds to scan through. But now they spread it out and they dilute it and they make it this seven-minute video so that they can also get the YouTube ad money. Do you know the thing that's popular? Like entertainment news videos, which are, it's basically like, it'd be like, oh, such and such happened on the Kardashians, just to bring them back as an example. As um, we always do. Yeah, happened on the Kardashians. And then you know what they do? They show you like maybe five seconds of what happened and they talk over it. Oh, God. This is Kim saying blah, 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 blah. Why don't you just shut up and let me watch the clip? <laughs> But I guess the idea is that they can't just steal the show's clip. They have to, like, talk around it and able to have it. And it's like... Well, that's famously the criticism of that whole genre of reacts. You just, like I was saying, you take someone else's content. Mm. So you're kind of using that to reel people in. The The quality of that content is the bait on the hook. And then you just say, oh, it's actually my video because I talk over it a little bit. Yeah. I stumble over some points on Kim Kardashian's hair. But and now are, I get to make the uh, ad money. These are actually like seemingly professional. Like I, we have like a popular website, so now we're just putting that into video. And there's a woman standing there, like you would see on like a news show, and like, and it's just so weird. I don't want to see. Yeah. Don't want to click. I hate it when I accidentally click on it. You're <laughs> trying to see like a performance of something from someone, and. They've labelled their videos as the same. So you click on that and it's them talking yeah. over the performance. And I'm like, I hate that I gave you a view. I wonder how much hijacking there is of the sort you just kind of alluded to. Where if a video starts getting big, and I, I'm guessing people can track that type of stuff. They can watch like the statistics and they can look at what video looks like it's trending towards becoming a viral video. If you just took that video and did like a, you know, a reacts, but you gave it a better title and you did all the search engine optimization stuff better and your video appeared above that other video in the search rankings, if you got in early enough, you could kind of hijack that viral video. And then mm. when people look, your video has got 10 million views, whereas the original video has got 70,000 because it doesn't have a very yeah. searchable title. Well, there were a couple of people I've watched before and people steal their videos and upload them. And so that if, I think if you like search for things and you have it set as like new videos first their video, their stolen video is going to come first. Yeah, um, it's very yeah, odd. Yeah, it's, it's weird. That would piss me off, though, like, if someone starts stealing your videos. I guess you've got to be, like, big or big-ish for that to happen. To kind of segue back to vlogs, this is kind of a strange, contentious, hotbed issue. But And this kind of makes... You know about Twitch, right? Yeah. Twitch, like YouTube, is one of those things that has just become super massive. But I have not followed or got yeah, into in any either. way whatsoever. So I'm kind of looking at it as an outsider. But can you do anything on there? Is it just for video games? No, you can. I think it started just as a video game streaming service, but now you can just live stream yourself. Oh, okay. Or you can live stream yourself doing something other than video games. Okay. 
I just find it interesting how in the vlog community and in things like Twitch, there is like a subsection of the most successful people where it literally is just, I'm a pretty girl with a low cut top and I talk about nothing for five minutes. But all these 14 year old boys flock to my videos anyway, because they're infatuated with me and they like looking at my boobs. And that is how I have found my success. But no one really wants to acknowledge that that's what's going on. Yeah, that's a thing. But like, what do you mean? How would you acknowledge it? What do you mean? I don't mean acknowledge it by like criticizing them, like saying, how dare you, you harlot. If you want to use that type of avenue to draw people into your video via the thumbnail, that's fine. But it's almost taboo to recognize that. Like, you wouldn't say to her, like, oh, you do know that you're getting most of your views because you're sitting there with your boobs out kind of thing. I feel like they don't even need it said to them. They're often so defensive that they will make a video about, like, the controversy surrounding yeah. that. And they want to be like, this is all nonsense. People come to my videos because they're well-made or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And yet in every single thumbnail, you have a ridiculous amount of cleavage exposed, which again <clears throat> is totally fine. That's your prerogative. But it's not an accident that you wore these ridiculously revealing tank tops in every single video and you made your breasts most prominent in every single thumbnail. But it is this weird unspoken thing where you're doing that because you know there's a lot of male attention that's going to come to you, but you don't, you also want to pretend that you are getting success just by virtue of the quality of your content. It's making me think of another thing that's like big now as well is like drama channels where like, I don't know, there'll be like some drama happening in like the beauty community. And so these drama channels will, will basically find out all the information they can as possible about this situation. And then they will make a video basically just telling you all about it. Um, and some of them, obviously, like, they will have, like, insider info because they know oh, someone God. who knows someone. And it's like, this is a big thing now, these drama channels. And it's like, ugh, they're clearly doing it because they know that type of thing gets a lot of views. Just like how, like... At some point, I don't know if it's as popular now, but it has been in the past where the craziest thing that you do, you know, will get. It's just exactly the same as that. Yeah, like, of course. Clickbait and sensationalism has been around since the dawn of the internet. Yeah, and I think the clickbait thing has become, like, because even some of the people that I watch who aren't, wouldn't really be into that whole clickbait thing, do sometimes still put clickbaity titles on purpose because they know that like that's of course more than ever that's what it's about now and then they'll say like at the beginning of the video sorry for the clickbaity title but you know it is weird how people really try to justify that i've seen people be accused where they have just essentially false titles yeah. that are, are complete exaggerations of of what happens in the content and of course, it's all in caps and it's all buzzwords. And then when they're called out about it, they say, I don't get this idea of clickbait. Of course, I'm going to try and make a title that brings people yeah. to my content. But if you're blatantly using deceptive tactics where you're tricking people into thinking, you know, where it's the type of title where 
it'll be something along the lines of I fell off this building, yeah. exclamation, exclamation mark. And then in the video, he gets super close to the building and goes, oh, I'm so close. It's that type of thing that has become so normalized that it's just accepted. Mm. You you see a title like that and you know instantly that that's not what's going to happen. On the more innocent side, like there are some people that I watch and they'll put like, this is my last video. And you click <laughs> on it and it's like, I'm going away. So I'm not going to have a video for a week. And I'm like, so yeah. it's not a last video. Or, I don't know, just stupid shit like that where it's clear that it's not actually going to be the case and you know that, you click on it anyway. But, I mean, if you have, like, subscribe, I mean, of course, I was going to say if you have subscribers, but obviously they're constantly trying to get new subscribers. I do wish sometimes, though, that, like, especially the bigger ones who can afford to would just concentrate on the subscribers they already have and the viewers they know they're going to get every single episode. Because sometimes they make videos as if it's their first video. And I'm like, okay, that's not what I'm here for. Like, I've just watched 500 of your videos going back seven years. Cut this shit out. I don't need a, this is who I am, this is what I'm about reintroduction video. It gets so, it can just get so, you know. And people get into routines as well. There's someone I watch and she says the exact same thing at the beginning of every video and the exact same thing at the end of every video. And her, so her videos are very formulaic. Like, you know what you're going to get. She's also very apologetic. Like, sorry for this and sorry for that. And I'm so sorry, but, and I don't like this. And I'm sorry I don't like it. Maybe I got a bad one. And I'm like, just say you don't like something yeah. like i feel bad that like they have feel like they have to constantly apologize for every single thing you gotta think though when you're in that position every tiny thing in your video yeah if you've got 10 million subscribers you're going to get a hundred angry messages about it yeah. and that probably does put you on the defensive and it does make you hyper apologetic makes me sad it's like someone flinching when someone raises their hand because they were hit a lot as a kid you get conditioned what a dark thing to say (laughs) it was yeah but it's what came most readily to mind because i beat our little rudy cat no and i teach him to respect my authority you will beat me that's true Mm. you've got take that back i don't even like that as a joke you've got strong girl kung fu i don't appreciate that what i've got strong kung fu Oh. <laughs> I don't have girl kung fu. I don't even know what to Just say in response out of to town, that. Honestly, you've got strong non-gendered kung fu. Yeah, thanks. What are your kung fu pronouns? Hi, yeah, and how about you just shut up? Okay. <laughs> what were we talking about? I don't know. Some Again, staying on shit. the vlogging topic, what do you think about these? YouTube personalities that do have 15 million subscribers and each video gets 200,000 views in the first 24 hours. They do amass around them this fanatical fan base. And it does kind of create a cult of personality where they have all these people that really love this person and worship them and follow every single thing they do and read a hundred of their tweets a day and watch every single video. Is that healthy for people to become that infatuated with this one person because especially like we were saying or at least i was referencing before 
a lot of these vloggers do have a very exaggerated lens that their life is viewed through when they upload videos about what's going on. They do play up certain things. They do have perfect lighting so that they look pristine and angelic. So they're not really presenting themselves in a 100% accurate, true-to-life way. And so when people do start to jump on their bandwagon and do start to become obsessed with them, it is kind of on the basis of a false view of that person. But that's no different to being a fan of someone who's a famous movie star or a famous singer. You like this person's content, i.e. their movies or the TV shows or their songs, so you buy up every single thing that you can, you watch every single thing that they're in, you go to YouTube and watch every single interview they've ever given, you look at all the pictures, and all of that is also through a lens of like, I now think I know you because I've taken in hundreds of hours of content of yours. However, in all these photos you're photoshopped, in all these movies you've got specific lighting, in all these interviews you're putting forward this self that only comes out during interviews. It's not your real personality, it's just the way you are when you're being interviewed. It's no different. Let me just point this out. Tom Cruise doesn't have a fucking Patreon. Okay. No matter how obsessed you get with Tom Cruise... You can't PayPal him a hundred dollars no, every month but because he only you love gets, him so much. But he only gets paid a fucking fuckload of money for his movies <laughs> because that we pay to go and see them. I appreciated so, that solid double expletive. Yeah, so we pay him in the same way that we pay them. It's not in the same way. It's it is not the, in the same, same way. way. It is because if no one ever went to a Tom Cruise movie and he and he wasn't someone who would open a movie, he wouldn't have been getting paid that amount of money. The reason why he gets paid that amount of money and he's a big movie star is because his films make a lot of money. And how do they make a lot of money? By us going to the cinema and then buying the DVDs. So it is the same, except... I've never given a single penny to any Patreon. So actually, all these YouTubers are giving me their shit for free and I pay more to see those other famous people. But people do contribute to their Patreon and some of them do it to support the content being made. But quite a lot of them do it because they really like the person. Yeah. This person that they've never met and that they're being given a distorted view of their life and their character, they're giving them money essentially to exist because they really like that person. It's like paying a tithe at a church. You yeah. do it out of a sense of duty. I do sometimes think, despite everything of what I've said, I've realised actually sometimes it bug the Patreon things does bug me sometimes. Just in terms of like sometimes because of the way it's like put out there. Because if you think about it, if you watch a person's YouTube and you like all their photos, because people get paid for likes as well. I know my picture's going to get 3,000 likes. Give me this free shit to get that many likes. Do you know what I mean? Because the more likes it gets, the more chance you get to be on like other people's explore pages and stuff. Anyway, so... If I watch the YouTube video and I like all the pictures and I follow and subscribe on everything, that's me paying you already. Because you are now getting money from my view, from my click, from my like. Now you're also asking me to give to Patreon, which is me paying you twice. You're saying, pay me on Patreon so I can create this content for you. However, you can, you can only create this content 
because we are willing to watch this content and we are watching this content. So why do we have to pay you twice? Do you get what I'm trying to say? I get what you're saying. You are in a very nebulous, passive way contributing to their ad money. You're basically, yeah. What are you taking issue with in what I just said? I don't know. Like it wasn't what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. It's basically me paying the person twice. I get what you're saying. Because like I said, I've watched the video, I've let the ad play when the ad needs to play. <laughs> Sometimes that choice isn't given to you. Yeah. It's a 30 second unskippable exactly. pre-roll. I've subscribed, I like the video. Like I said, I go to all the other platforms and I watch all the other stuff on the platforms. I like all the other stuff on all the other platforms. I'm already giving you money because you're making money off of all of that. But now you're saying give me money on Patreon too. Although obviously the perk is that usually you get extra stuff. Sometimes. Well, always. I've never seen a Patreon. I've seen Patreon. Usually Patreons. it's like give me $1 and that's it. You don't get anything. But anything higher than $1 is like you get something for it. I've seen Patreons where there's only one tier and it will be like $5 a month or whatever. And it will just be some very generalized write-up of... This will help contribute to the running of my channel and occasionally buying equipment. Yeah, I think usually for me when I've seen it, that's like a dollar. Like, give me a dollar. Thank you. You're awesome. And And then anything higher than that. Although sometimes it's like, give me five dollars and you get early access to videos. But it's like, if you just wait the extra day, you get to see it like everyone else. But when there isn't a perk behind it, when it isn't essentially kind of a quid pro quo... That's when it really is that pure donation. Yeah. I like you so much that I'm going to give you money. And that that's when it can kind of get dark. Like you were saying about how some YouTubers get super apologetic because their fans are very overbearing mm. and they'll call them out for every tiny perceived slight or mistake. There are people you, podcasters and YouTubers alike and everyone else, where you see that they have become the captives of their Patreon funders, where they're so careful not to step on any toes of anyone who's donating. And whenever they do anything remotely, not even controversial, but that some of their fans won't like that direction that their content is going, you see these angry comments of, I'm pulling my Patreon. I was giving you $80 a month for the last (laughs) year and a half, but now I'm taking that away from you. And they feel like they have that power. They, they feel like they're entitled to control what this person's doing. And in a sense, there is that, con- not necessarily control, but that person, if they do want to continue getting that money, they are constrained by what those Patreon backers want. And mm-hmm. so you can have someone who has 100,000 views on every video, but the only opinion they really care about is the 200 Patreon backers giving them a total of $5,000 a month. Something I've seen as well, which is just a straight-up donation, and I see this more on, like, mukbang channels, is they'll just put a PayPal link, and they'll say, request what you want me to eat, and here's my PayPal, and I'll buy it. You buy the food, and I'll eat whatever you want. Um, I can see how that could go sour quickly. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't have any problem with people saying... Like, here's my Patreon, like, whatever. I'm. Ju- it's just when people get... Because I've seen people, like, get into, like, arguments in the comments about it. And so, it just seeing the different point of view of, like, well, no, I'm paying her already by viewing things. Why aren't I getting what the Patreon people are getting? 
you know, because I am paying her. I'm just not giving her money. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. Did you save it? Yeah. Sorry. It was important that I saved that. <laughs> it <what> was. <laughs> so, yeah, we just took a little break for we two reasons. Yeah, we do, but we don't always acknowledge it. Sometimes it's a phantom break. And when we say break, we really mean two minutes. Yeah. Not like we go away and come back two days later. It was for two main reasons. Firstly... I wanted to stop and save the podcast after we almost <laughs> lost the last episode. And I don't oh, think yeah. I would have ever recovered from that. And secondly, in the last like 20 minutes, my stomach has been rumbling like crazy. Oh, you little hungry kitty. And I wanted to have a snack. That's something that when I was in university, you'd have those really quiet classrooms where maybe the teacher has shown something on the projector or whatever you're reading something they've handed out and even if i'd had a big breakfast that day and sometimes i would even i don't know if you remember but i would have like a bagel on the way to as i was walking even if i knew my stomach was full it was not hungry it was not empty i would still have those really loud stomach grumbles it's funny is when it like goes it's like a long yeah. grumble. And I know it was kind of like a nervous thing and I would get so... You never know if someone else could hear it. It always sounds so loud so to you. Loud, yeah. But probably no one else could hear it. But in that quiet room, it sounded so loud to me. That happened to me when I was at uni too. That always happened and I hated it. I'm always in such shitty rooms. Why is it that no matter what you attend, college or uni, the teacher always says to you that like... This only happens to you, but it clearly happens to everyone where you get like the shittiest rooms. Ugh, I feel like I didn't really explain that too well, but we would always I understand like, what you're saying. Well, they were always like, Yeah, we're on the seventh floor and it's a room with no windows. And I'd be like, Oh, great. I was one of my university classes was in this tiny room, and there must have been at least 40 of us in there. 40? Yeah. I don't know why that shocked me so much. <laughs> we were in a tiny room and there was like 15 of us. But it was then a tiny... why does it matter? Because it was a tiny Was it a janitor's room. closet? It may as well... It didn't have windows. You were playing seven minutes in heaven with, with 14 other yeah. people? Ew. <laughs> he gave me this look. He gave me this look, guys, of like... I was slut-shaming her with my no, eyes. he was picturing me with 14 other people. No, I was trying to imagine how you'd arrange yourself so that 14 people could kiss simultaneously. Like, what pattern you'd have to form with your buddies. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> my point... I don't know if it was 40. It was a lot. And it was also in the middle of the summer. And this was... My campus had several buildings, and this one that it was in, I hated because the rooms not only were small, but they were very hot. They were very poorly ventilated. They like the room with no windows. They had those windows, I guess, so people can't jump out of them, where they only open a crack, At the like top. two inches of yeah. air coming in. And this room was so hot that I had to leave. It was the type of heat where you just can't even think straight. You're just sweating, you're uncomfortable. <laughs> There's no air in the room. It was just horrible. We get it. We I, had, get it. I had to leave. I had to get up and take my leave. 
I said good day to you, sir. This room it really is funny. not hospitable to life. If you really do do that, good day to you, sir. I As tipped you rip my your jacket hat. off the back of the chair. I grabbed my cane. You, you put your monocle in. Yeah. Stroke my mustache, my waxed mustache. I'm going to draw a little mustache on you when we're on the Eurostar, when you're asleep. Please don't. So that you wake up in Paris with a French mustache. They're going to think I'm mocking them. Yep. Are you also going to put a stripy shirt on me and a necklace of garlic and a beret? People, I'm sure people do arrive that way. Oh, God. Thinking that it's like festive, you know. I think, I don't want to call her out on this. Because A, she's not listening, and B, I don't think it was bad. But when my sister went to Paris, they wore berets as like a cute little... Oh yeah, little... and stripy tops. Oh, I forgot about that. I was about to defend them by saying, just because it was that one thing, it's kind of acceptable and like a cute little... But yeah, I forgot that she did that as well. You know what, fucker? Just think, if we'd have gone with them, we would have had to wear stripy tops and berets. I renounce her as my blood. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah so what were we talking about i don't know youtube and whatnot this would to to talk about what i originally wanted to talk about say you had a 14 year old daughter yeah and like so many kids today she decided that what she wanted to do was to become youtube famous perfect time for me to say about two years ago... You had a daughter. My cousin... Yes. My <laughs> we cousin, don't talk of her, though. My cousin, who was, like, 13 at the time, was like, I want to be a YouTuber. Right. And it was the first time I'd ever heard anyone... Anyone young say that in, like, a real-life setting. I want to be a YouTuber. Not like, I want to create videos that do this. I want to be a YouTuber. Yeah. Go ahead. You can yeah. continue. What would you do? Like, do you think it's okay for parents to let their young teenage kids start doing vlogs and start doing react videos and start putting themselves out there in that way? Because obviously, you put a YouTube video up there, you're going to get just the most disgusting, despicable comments known to man. People are going to stalk you. People are going to do crazy stuff. And you're going to start getting sucked into that whole way of thinking where you, like you said, you don't care about what you're putting out there as a video. You just need another video to get some more views to push yourself slightly up the rankings. I think I would ask them why they want to be a YouTuber and go from there. If they gave an obvious answer of like, it's cool, it's what everyone's doing... It gets you famous. I want the swag. Then I would try to steer them away. But if they get ended up giving you some kind of like profound reason of I've how... I've always wanted to be a documentarian no, of the like, everyday life. <laughs> of like how they... It's just another way to express yourself. Because I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't use social media. Like you, what well, you think when I post social media. So like, what are you getting out of it? You do get something out of it. And so if they gave like a some kind of reason like that, then I I think I'd go from there. But I think if they were young like that, 14, there'd have to be something in place where it's like, I don't know, you have like, 
strict kind of like I'm sure on things like that you can kind of when you turn on comments you can like filter out because on Instagram I know you can now you can like filter out certain words so you don't see the comments that have those words in um also it could be a case of like well you're 14 if I'm going to let you do this I get to approve the comments but I mean how would you stop them from going on their own page so also one of the main reasons they probably want to jump into is that YouTube get, world yeah. is for people to see them and say, oh, you look so pretty in that video or what you did was so amazing. They want that compliment. They want that validation. I wouldn't want them to because... I wouldn't want them to because I don't know if I would be able to handle comments. Maybe I think part of why I have never done YouTube is because I'm scared of even not having any reaction at all or getting the only reaction and the that reaction being negative. Yeah. You get like a couple of views and then you just get some really shitty comments. And it's horrible. Like I across my years on like social media and stuff and having blogs, I have only had really a, a couple of bad comments. And it is shit. Like, it's really shit. And I imagine if you have a YouTube video and it does get thousands of views, that you get loads. Especially YouTube comments. They're like the gutter of yeah, the fucking internet. Because it's always the worst people that comment on YouTube videos. Um, yeah, so I probably won't let them. If they were, like, 14. The other thing is, if they're pitching it to you as don't worry mom this is how people make their money nowadays this is a sustainable career for me to jump into the well f- then i'd say your career doesn't start at 14 it starts at 18 yeah but there's never too early to start mom no it is make videos and just show them to me <laughs> i'll be your youtube fan base <laughs> you start leaving comments under different usernames yeah. oh my god i loved your video you must have the greatest mom yeah Anyway, my point is... Hashtag clean your room. <laughs> leaving little mom messages. Have you done your homework yet? I said no more YouTube videos before you eat your broccoli. Anyway, my point is... Because YouTube has the power to give off and take off away... Yeah. You, it, the, YouTube, like the rest of the internet, is not a meritocracy. You don't get big by solely just doing hard work making good content you have to play the game and you also have to get to some extent lucky with how the search algorithms that day happen to favor you or disfavor you and so you can never rely on that and once you get hooked on that t of (laughs) sorry let me giggle and once you get hooked on that t of i am now supporting myself by these patreon donations and this ad revenue i get for my videos it can vanish in an instant mm. based on things that you cannot control it's not based on your failings like you have let your quality decline or you are not putting out as many videos youtube can just decide to change one tiny little setting and then you become completely vanished from people's feeds that's why i think if you do end up getting like an audience of some kind you need to do as much with it as you can like there's one person i watch and she got really big on youtube like it's all got really big like several years ago she's been on it like nine years or something now so she's like from the original youtuber days 
She got really big, stayed big, but then she like did stuff with it. She, like she's written books, um, and they became bestsellers. Um, she's she wrote articles for online stuff. Um, she also just like has her face out there in terms of like I've seen her on like BBC. She's been on like talk shows. And, okay, so you need to kind of like get your fingers in some pies while you're at that level. Because then even if, like, YouTube takes it, like, what if, like, in, in five years everything's completely different and YouTube doesn't exist anymore? I mean, I'm sure another, other video platforms will be out there, but things could drastically change and you could have, like, no, hardly any views anymore. Another thing I think people fall into as well is, and I've seen this, like, from people that I've watched, is that they get so big in their mind that they have all these views and all these followers and they have all these perks that that's their life now and so they hardly make youtube videos because they don't have time because they're going to loads of events and they're doing real life stuff and so they're putting a youtube video out like once every two weeks or once a month and it's like hey guys just checking in yeah. sorry i haven't really been around keep donating to my patreon thanks and it's like hang on yeah you know so, I don't know. I think the key is that you do as much with it as you can. Because now you you get other things by having that following. Like, even I've even seen actors talk about it where they're like, such and such didn't get cast in a film because they don't have a big Twitter following. And this is like actors who are already like established not getting roles for that. And then I also saw things like, oh, I made most of my money last year not from acting gigs, even though, like I said, they're, like, established actors who do get work. I made most of my money from, like, advertising stuff on Instagram. Like, it's really strange the time that we're in. But I think that influencer where, like, you know what that is, right? Of course. I think that influencer bubble is going to burst. I think so, too. Because the promise of the internet age was supposed to be Anyone with a camera can become successful, can gain an audience, can carve out a little niche of the internet for themselves and what they're doing. But more and more, we're seeing that there's not a hundred thousand successful YouTubers. There's 400 mega monoliths on the YouTube scene. And then everyone else feeds off their table scraps. It's not become as spread out and even as people expect it to be. It's this guy has started to get millions and millions of subscribers. And so YouTube gives him more and more focus, gives him more of the spotlight, pushes more searches to his video specifically. And so then he becomes this 100 million subscriber juggernaut. I think that's not sustainable because yeah. what if that guy then says, I'm doing with YouTube now, I've started getting some acting roles. Then YouTubers put all this time and effort and money into creating this star, quote unquote, and then he just takes his ball and leaves. Mm. I think that's going to happen. And then YouTube is going to realize we shouldn't have invested everything into this like small elite group of people that everyone knows their name and face even your mom has heard of this guy blah 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 and that i think is when the bubble is going to burst i think they've always started doing that with this whole like change in their algorithm 
demonetizing videos left, right, and center. Also, there are, like you said, there are only like however many hundred like massive YouTubers, but there are absolutely loads of mid level YouTubers, and that's where I think they're seeing that like we can't put all our eggs in this one basket because it doesn't take a lot these days yeah. to get to that mid level. The thing is, though, I don't think. Going back to this whole idea of can it be a career, I don't think you can be a popular, and I'm using popular in a very loose sense, popular enough to make enough money to pay rent, successful YouTuber for 40 years. I think, you know, how many YouTubers are there that get big because they appeal to young people? They have like a really cool video series or they have like a really cool vlog that's very young and hip if you'll excuse my grandpa-ish <laughs> expressions but then they keep getting older and older and then they age out of that demographic that they're trying to appeal to they can't speak to the that new generation of people in that age group because now they're 31 and they have four kids well that's exactly like this one youtuber that i was just talking about who's been doing it for like nine years her, for the first, like, six or seven years, it's only been the last year or two that she's changed her stuff, but for the first six, seven years, she was, like, it was geared towards young people, and it was very, like, PC, and, like, didn't talk about certain stuff, but she's my age now, so she was in her 20s when she started it, in her early 20s, she's now my age, and... So she doesn't want to make that content anymore. And I actually discovered her by watching her video of I'm changing my content. That's right. the first video I ever watched and I got like hooked. Um, so Why I'm not, did you click on a video that says I'm changing my content? I don't know. You so didn't even they, know what the content was because before. I, I, because I heard, I knew who she was. Okay. I think it was one of those where it's like you're really trying to find something to watch and you just click on whatever appears on the screen. And I didn't get hooked straight away. I remember watching the video and then a few weeks later thinking, hmm, I wonder what her content's like now since she changed it. And then I went. Anyway, so there was a dilemma. The young people who were still young couldn't watch her content anymore because it was different. However, the other half of the people that were young when she started it that have now grown with her will stay because they've grown with her. And so as her content changes, they change. So I get that. So you are you will obviously inevitably lose your the half of your it's geared to his young people, so or whatever. So young people are always gonna come. There'll be new young people, new young people. But if you continue at it, you your audience will grow yeah. with you. I just think that obviously you can have an audience of older people like 30 40 year old people who like watching your content but the thing about it is young people have the most free time they also have the most willingness to like you were saying earlier watch these vlogs just in the background they just always have some vlogs on their tablet as they're doing other stuff on their phone it just is this comforting white noise for their brain whereas older people they're going to have jobs. They're going to have kids. They're going to have responsibilities. They're not going to have several hours each day they can fill with nothingness. Just vlogs that they don't enjoy that much, but it's become a comforting routine for them. And so I think there's not as much potential for your audience to 
watch as much content? Well, I think what you've got to remember is that online stuff like Netflix and YouTube is taking over TV. Just like us, we don't watch TV, but we do watch Netflix and we do watch YouTube. Like I was saying earlier, my TV is just having YouTube on. And some of the people I watch who are my age and a bit older, so 30s, they vlog and all they do is watch vlogs. So in it's it's that they do that instead of watching TV or instead of reading or whatever. So the time is already there. Yeah. Um so, so I think it is changing. I think more and more people will move to just be watching that stuff instead of watching TV. Especially with this whole like I feel like more and more we're becoming like I don't want to wait for anything. I don't want to wait for the page to load. I don't want to wait for the video to buffer. I don't yeah. want to wait a week for a new episode. I want everything right now. And so I think that's why people, more and more people are moving to online because you don't have to wait for anything. But and I know this has always been kind of the old fogey criticism of the internet. Isn't there a risk of people losing touch with socializing with the outside world where if it's your thing the thing you like to watch is just streams of people playing video games or people cooking or repairing something whatever it is that kind of simulates that human contact it's kind of like you're just there as they're doing something and talking so if instead of just watching a video where it's clearly just someone made this two years ago and now I'm watching this five-minute piece of entertainment, there is kind of a feeling of I'm here, I'm typing in the chat, they're occasionally responding to people in the chat. So it's like it's more of a two-way street and so it starts to feel like you're there doing something with that person when in reality you're just watching their stream like the 10,000 other people. But I like that because as someone who is a homebody... A hermit, if you I, will. Yeah, I get to see and interact with people without leaving the house. <laughs> but, you know, people and, like, old people, whatever, can say whatever they want about, like, yeah, but you need to get out and talk to people. No, I don't, because getting out and talking to people scares me. It makes me feel sick. It makes me panic. I don't want to do that. And so for people who don't want to do it, or don't have any friends, or who live in a place where it's like almost impossible to meet new people, or whatever, whatever, whatever. That's what it's there for. And I don't think it's not going to be until like people your age or a bit younger are old people that that's going to check. Like, we won't have old people saying that shit anymore because they'll all be gone. We'll be young forever, damn it. <laughs> the YouTube generation has Peter Pan syndrome. Mm. Okay, I think we should wrap up this one okay. and move on to the next topic. Give it to me. Okay, so the next article is a news story on The Guardian entitled... Ban on killer robots urgently needed, says scientists. When I read this title, I thought it was kind of sensationalist to say, to use the phrase killer robots. But then the campaign that they're actually talking about is called Campaign to Stop Killer Robots. So they just lifted it from there. I just think that's such a silly phrase. It makes you think of the Terminator movies. Yeah. 
But essentially, this is reporting on the fact that more than a hundred of the world's, I'm reading directly right now, more than a hundred of the world's leading robotics and AI pioneers, including Elon Musk, have called on the UN to ban the development and use of killer robots. And what they mean by that is robotic weapons, which operate autonomously. You just release them into the field with a certain set of parameters and certain algorithms to decide things on the fly. And then they have their own authority to attack people or even kill people. They don't have to radio back in with the headquarters and say, I've acquired this target. Do I have the go ahead to kill them? As soon as they see someone matching their target profile, they open fire. So they they are given full autonomy in that sense. And so, yeah, they're basically trying to get the UN to ban the use of these autonomous warfighting robots for all of the UN countries. And part of this campaign to try and raise more awareness about this and frankly, to do a little bit of maybe well-intentioned scaremongering, is this video that was created, which I showed you. because you showed it me just before we started the podcast. Yeah, it's seven minutes long. It is entitled, hilariously and lightheartedly enough, all one word, Slaughterbots, created by the Future of Life Institute. And yeah, I showed it to you because I felt like you wouldn't have a good sense of what we were talking about unless you saw like an example of how it could a form it could take and like i said you should watch it it's very bone chilling especially because of how realistic the scenario it portrays is but it's a fictionalized account of how this company creates these little tiny drones like the little quad copters where they have the little propeller blades they're tiny like the size of an apple and they have a camera so that they can see around them and they can they have facial recognition software so that you can tell them to search out a certain person and they will scan all the people in a crowd and lock into that specific person by their face and but you could also just say something like everyone with brown hair yeah or everyone with brown skin more yeah you know, frighteningly. And on board each drone is a small amount of explosive material. Not very much, just enough so that when they fly up to your head, they explode this shape charge and it hollows out your skull, basically. Like you've just been shot point blank with a gun. And so in the course of this seven-minute video, it portrays how this technology gets into the wrong hands and some shady people use it to um, commit a massacre at a school based on people who have online posted political dissent. And it just shows all these different ways how following the advent of this technology, there's almost going to be no stopping it. Because once you release this swarm of drones each one capable of killing someone with perfect precision, 
they are essentially what are you going to do carry around an emp and a briefcase there's nothing you can do about it they are going to zoom in through a window before you even know what's going to what before you even know what's happening and then they're going to explode next to your head and you're dead and so the video is trying to show how dangerous these things are and so i wanted to talk about just on a philosophical level what do you think of the idea of drones that aren't controlled by humans that are given full autonomy and can choose to kill someone on their own so they take away the whole element of a person being behind the screen and being responsible for the choice to open fire on someone first of all who the fuck is making these why isn't it already (laughs) illegal and why aren't they being arrested okay that's an interesting opening salvo of questions. Well, because, I don't expect you to answer. Well, just one, one second, because that just reminds me. There's this quote in the article, which is hilarious. Let me see if I can bring it up. Okay, so it says, In 2015, the UK government opposed an international ban on these killer robots. The Foreign Office said it saw no need for the prohibition as international humanitarian law already regulated the area and then quote the uk is not developing lethal autonomous weapon systems and the operation of weapon systems by the uk armed forces will always be under human oversight and control a foreign office spokesperson said at the time and it kind of felt to me like the famous viral video of the iraqi information minister saying nothing's going on in iraq everything's fine as the tanks are rolling by behind him because it's so clear that if this technology is effective and it becomes the new arms race just like nuclear weapons were once upon a time where if you perfect this war fighting technology you have a major upper hand over your potential adversaries there's no way that every country in the world is not going to be working on this day and night and and so the idea that so a spokesman for the UK government would come out and say, we're never going to do this, like literally to use the phrase, this will never happen, is so preposterous. Yeah, this is really scary, like terrifying even. Like I don't, after seeing that video, I don't want to leave the house. Because <laughs> Just in case. You can't get away. It's only, it's like, it's like this machine is going to fly at you. And explode or whatever. And it's going to persist until it's done its job, you know? So there's no getting away from it unless you can somehow, like, destroy it before it gets you. But they're so fast moving. Yeah. These ones were terrifying. They were, like, really flying at you like insects. Like, just unable to get away from you. I don't think... I think it would be anyone who's, like, in this line of like work whatever creating these things anyone who's like that intelligent i don't think should be making decision like i can't imagine them making that decision of like this now can act on its own we've created it and given it's kind of given it its objective and now it gets to do like we can't stop it it's like once you fire the nuclear weapon or whatever, you can't bring it back. Or yeah. you can up until a certain point and then you can't do anything. That's silly. Yeah. 
That's terrifying. The the scary thing is not necessarily how state actors are going to use these. Like, I'm not worried that the US is going to perfect this technology and then try and take over Europe. What's more worrying is how simple it is. Like yeah. I said, it's a little drone, a little camera, and a little, a little amount of explosives. Of explosive, and yeah. if you just perfect the face recognition technology, you can potentially cause a tremendous amount of death and destruction and mayhem with really not very expensive weaponry. You don't, it doesn't even have to be about that face recognition aspect either because I'm sure you can still make something like this now without the face recognition thing. Just fly a drone yeah. with explosives attached to it into a crowd of people. Like, we're already at that scary level of, like, this type of thing is possible. Now you're just perfecting it to become even more, like, evil Lethal. and horrific. Evil. <laughs> like, this scary thing chasing around pink-haired girls, like... I love how you think that's going to be I don't the... Know. It could be. ...target parameters. I like it. We're so sick of these neon pink-haired women. Oh, my God. Speaking of, and sidestepping a little bit, well, a lot. Uh, when I was reading about like France and just all things, all <laughs> to things, go back to Paris, let's just all, talk about something friendly and all nice. things France. I was reading how like like I ended up watching YouTube videos of like top ten culture shocks of like a Brit in France or whatever, um, and there were several times they brought up the fact that no one really dyes their hair unnaturally in Paris. Parisians, they mean they don't mean like. Obviously, you go to London, it's mostly not Londoners, it's people from everywhere. But they were saying how, like, everyone dresses very similarly, very Paris-esque, and, like, they all have very subtle makeup and, like, very natural hair, and I'm, like, a bit scared now. (laughs) I totally let it scare me, and I don't want to be thought of as riffraff. You need to look up the French word for pink because they're going to point at you and shout It's that. rose, I think. I looked this up. It's rose. Just try and imagine that they're calling you an English rose then. No, they're going to they be shout calling mockingly me... at you. Yeah, I don't want that. They're going to be calling me like... A hussy. Dirty rose. Dirty pink. I feel bad for saying this. I'm sure French people are lovely. But like, if it's not the norm to like be weird or whatever and given you have for this information the authoritative source of Huffington Post or BuzzFeed you can definitely trust it take it to the bank Rose yeah I looked it up Rose Rose I like how you're practicing this word as if we don't say as it already as if I'm gonna <laughs> yeah but they don't say Rose Rose yeah but are you gonna try and say things in a French accent what's pink hair if I'm talking in French yeah I'm not going to say English, like polez-vous, allez-vous, or whatever, anglaise. How are you going to say it? Bonjour, no. My name's Sam. <laughs> it's going to be, I'm going to try and say it French. French. Frenchy. I'm going to try and be like, wow. bonjour, merci. Oh, damn. I was trying to play something I just translated, but it decided to crap out on me. Sure. Hopefully that doesn't happen when we're trying to. Oh, my God, it really has broken. Just give up on it, woman. <laughs> 
It's going to like, I'm going to put it down and then it's just going to like yeah. play or whatever. That's like how sometimes we're just sitting on the couch and then <sighs> your iPad, which is underneath the coffee table. Because it's always plugged in. Will just start talking to us and it because it picked up something and it thought we were talking to Siri. You say kitty and it thinks you said Siri. Okay, stop. Chevreuse. That's pink hair. Okay. Chevreuse. I could be French. I don't think so. I mean, I couldn't because I'm so scared of like... Anyway, let's get back to the slaughter bots. <laughs> I don't want to get slaughtered by a robot when we're in Paris. I hope... <sighs> Knock on wood, for the love of God. <laughs> I'm not getting the mics, though. I really don't appreciate this. <laughs> the audio the quality on is the wooden table. really going to take a hit because of your <laughs> percussion. Um, in terms of should someone be at the helm of these weapons like drones exist right now you always hear about these predator drones and their hellfire missiles they also have these ridiculous macho names dropping bombs on weddings in afghanistan and there definitely are atrocities committed with them there are civilian casualties there's collateral damage of surrounding areas and infrastructure but ultimately you know that Someone was behind the computer making a decision. They saw a target on the infrared camera or whatever, and then they presumably had to get the go-ahead from their superior, some general, and then they made the choice. And that means that the middleman in that situation was an actual human decision-making process. That person had to think about it and consider it as a human being. Whereas... That's not going to happen. It is. It's still going to be the case because someone still has to set up the facial recognition and say, go and explode the heads of all blonde-haired people or whatever. Like, someone still has to set that up. Someone still has to let it fly away. Someone has to press something or whatever to activate it. So... The only difference is, is that there's no bringing it back once it's gone. That's not necessarily true. There's no controlling it. The real problem is, I understand what you're saying, that's true. But when the actual moment of killing the target comes, there's no thinking beforehand. Even if the drone operator and the autonomous drone would kill the same person in the same circumstances... The drone operator still had to think about what was going on every step of the way. If you see what I mean. So they- No, I don't understand where you're making where you're drawing this line. They are. They're saying, I want to kill all blonde people. Here, fly away, little robots, and kill all <laughs> blonde people. Okay. Just because there's no one there one second before it, it's exactly the same. Okay, but with the human operator there's the possibility of reacting to unexpected events that haven't been programmed into the autonomous bot. So if you're hunting a specific guy and your drone and the autonomous drone comes upon him and he looks 99% like the guy, like just very, very, very similar, the autonomous drone just goes and kills him. But the human operator might look at him and see this guy's wearing a type of clothing that we know that the target would never wear for some particular reason. And then he stops and thinks about it and goes back and looks at all the data and makes sure this is the right person. And maybe it's not, and they don't 
order the strike. Whereas the autonomous drone doesn't have that second guessing. It just sees a person that meets whatever the target image was given to it and goes and kills that person. But they're still going to kill someone. They're just not going to kill the wrong person. Killing someone is still bad, no matter who you kill. Yeah, so, got... okay, he didn't kill Johnny fucking Be Good down the road. because Johnny he didn't what? Because he didn't look like Johnny No Good from the other road. And <laughs> we didn't kill him. But we did go and kill Johnny No Good. So we still killed someone. So it doesn't matter. I don't know why you're seeing this through two different lenses. It's exactly the same. It's not exactly the same. It is. It absolutely is. It would be maybe slightly different if they were only being used for, like, war-type things. Because then you do have that added benefit of having the person be up until the exact point of having to do it. And maybe they're going to hit, like, the wrong target or whatever. But you know if that technology is out there, it's out there for people. Do you know what I mean? It's out there for everyone. But I feel like you're not thinking it in terms of... The difference between a drone successfully killing its target, some top commander in Al-Qaeda, and randomly killing some random Afghan woman who just happened to have the same body shape as this guy from a distance, that's a big difference. Because one guy is I just said it would be technically a combatant, and the other person is a civilian. So the murder is not equivalent. Yeah. Whereas the bot isn't thinking in those terms it isn't thinking at all it's just carrying but if out it's, it's facial recognition it's not going to kill the woman accidentally is it but it, the mistakes do happen and the question yeah. then is who is responsible i see what you're saying i did say it would be different if yeah. it was like war but that's the only way it's different because any other killing of any kind is bad not that war killing is good. <laughs> but what <laughs> I mean is, there's a, re- like, there's a reason. This guy is like murdering lots of people. He needs to be stopped or whatever the reasons are. I'm not saying I think that's good or bad. I'm just saying that as a fact. But obviously, like, in our world, where there is no war right happening on our doorstep, people killing people is, like, not supposed to happen. <laughs> now that you've declared your opposition to murder... Although I guess... the. There was a strange noise that just came from outside. Oh, it's the dog barking. You always assume it's like some mistreated dog crying for attention, (laughs) when oftentimes it's just a dog barking in the garden. You don't know. Makes me sad. Um, Dogs bark for lots of stupid reasons. My dog, whenever someone would put something through the leather box, would bark for about an hour and a half. And he this was is not why I can't have a dog. I even can't one little bit aggressive as a dog. The barking. But they just have that like inbuilt reaction. It's like a baby crying. It's, it's like, not like that. For me it is. It's like uh What were we talking about before you veered us <laughs> off a conversational cliff? There was a dog, okay. Um something about I was gonna say something about it, it would get to a point where the police have this technology and they know a suspect is out there and it goes and kills a suspect because it doesn't have that ability to be like, drop your weapon, I'll shoot if you don't drop your weapon, and it just shoots it. Yeah. So I guess that's the difference. There's no, they're not surgical instruments, they're very blunt tools. Yeah. And 
I definitely could see this type of technology being used for policing. You can imagine a scenario where there's some kind of large mass demonstration or protest and the police are trying to claim it's becoming a riot. Uh, so they send these bots in, not with explosives, but maybe with the equivalent of tasers, some kind of electroshock weapon. Oh my God, this is horrendous. And everyone wearing a face covering, they shock in order to the police then come in to arrest that guy. I don't like These this. are the nightmarish dystopian yeah. scenarios you have to think about. Obviously, when we're thinking about stuff like that, that's different. I don't know. Yeah. I see it differently now. But, and again, to, the the key point for me from a philosophical standpoint. I'm such a flip-flopper. You are. <laughs> it's good to change your mind in the course yeah, of a conversation. Yeah, no, it though. is. But it's weird how, like, up until a certain point, I was like, no, 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 it's exactly the same. And then something switched. But you'd never thought about it in depth before. Yeah, that's true. That's the value of these long-form conversations. You get yeah. to come at it from every angle. Oh, aren't we so good? We are. <laughs> That's why, to dip back slightly into the last topic, that's why I much prefer a two-hour-long podcast to some guy talking into the camera for 10 minutes where it's pre-scripted. Because in the two-hour-long conversation, A, you get to see what the person's really like because you can't act successfully for 10 two-hour podcasts in a row. And B, you also get to draw out some of the nuance of people's positions. Yeah, because you are different when you're conversating than you are just reading something out or speaking yeah. to yourself. You you react to people reacting to you. Oh, yeah. And so it's different. That's it's a good point. It's different every time. What was I saying? Yeah. So say... Think about killer bots. <laughs> I love how you're rolling your eyes. This <laughs> They're coming for a skinny. They might. Because of this podcast, let's not post it before we go to Paris. In case they target us? Yes. We'll give it to a friend. I'll send Matthew a USB stick with a note on it that says, if anything happens to us, it wasn't a suicide, post this. This is fucking dark. Yep, I took it pitch black. You did. That's how I roll, Remember that baby. movie? That's a, stop that this. A good movie. We're focusing on... I watched at the cinema when I was like a teenager. That's a fascinating story. No, but I have a memory. I wonder who's going to play you in the movie adaptation of, of like that story. watching it and then walking through a pitch black like I don't know the part between the cinema and like where we had to get the bus. It was like pitch black and we were like scared. And you thought that Vin 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 Shock you with one of those bots. I my mind is like totally blanked on his second name. Oh, Vin Diesel. I wanted to say Vin Riddick. He wasn't Vin Diesel yet either. He was just some guy. So you know you watch Vin Diesel now in anything, he's Vin Diesel. I get what you're saying. But like he was just a guy in that. Okay, let's get back on track. My what I was trying to say was Think about it this way. If someone operating a drone kills the wrong person, it's clear that they are responsible because they were controlling it. And maybe to some certain extent, their superiors are responsible for giving them the order and maybe giving them bad data. But if a arms company just hands over a crate of drones that have a certain type of programming... And then they are used in the field and they accidentally kill the wrong person. Who is at fault? The person who programmed the facial recognition. But do you not see how that's 
a dangerous road to yeah, go down. Yeah, it is. You're but... blaming the robot rather than the people who employed them. No, you're blaming the person who, whose job it is to say, let's kill this person. Someone is still always going to be saying, this is the person to kill. Regardless of who has the robot, someone is always going to be at a certain point where they say, this is who we're looking for. And it's them. Whoever gave them that order, or if they gave themselves that order, it's that person. Okay, I I misunderstood what you were saying. I thought you were saying it's the arms company's fault. Because I I think that is... Did I just yell at you? No. I feel like I yelled at you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm in tears over here. (laughs) You responded like I had yelled at you as well. I've curled into the fetal (laughs) position. Yeah, I thought that's what you were saying. And that is why I think this technology is so attractive to governments and militaries. Because... If something goes wrong, I think they will try to fall back on the excuse of it's just like if a gun misfires in the field. It's the fault of the item and the company that produced the item. I think if the wrong person gets killed by one of these autonomous robots, they will say, well, it was a malfunctioning piece of equipment. No one's at fault. Kind of like how if there's like a car accident and it's hard to tell whose fault it is, they usually just end up blaming the car company right. because it's it's like, well, there was obviously a fault. I just see it as a very slippery slope where responsibility is going to be taken away from the human beings involved. And that's not a good place for us to be because war is already so devoid of people willing to make moral choices and to be held accountable for what they do and if you add this extra element of what if something goes wrong you can always blame the face recognition software we used we didn't have the latest version of it and it's just a tragic mistake a a software error that's what i see happening and Mm. that to me is almost scarier than the idea of some guy in a cave in afghanistan cobbling together a consumer drone with a chunk of c4 in it because i see the problem i'm talking about being implemented as a very systematic thing yeah i agree (laughs) (laughs) i know sometimes you don't have anything to to add to what i said because no yes to everything you just said like i i i'm on the same page the other potential catastrophe that could happen i feel really dumb now (laughs) <laughs> that sometimes I get like that when, when like, ninety nine percent of the time there's always something to say. Yeah, like it's a worry if you constantly don't have responses to things. It's like your brain's not working properly. But sometimes someone says something and it's like, yeah, that's exactly yeah. where my brain would have gone now, or it's the only way my brain can go now because of what you've said, and so. Anything I would now say would just be repeating what you've said. Yeah. You'd just be speaking for the sake of speaking. Yeah. So I was just basically feeling insecure about my <laughs> lack of response. And then you verbalized it for everyone to yeah. inspect Thanks and pick apart. For that. <laughs> <laughs> I think also it happens when you know you come into like I don't know. Your fifties. Hey. <laughs> Thirty two. You send some drones after me? I might. Target, Ryan Finch. No, stop this horrible... Crime, insulting my age. You're never allowed to die. I mean, 
I don't need your permission. <laughs> you do, and I will never give it. <laughs> which means you'll live forever. <laughs> wow, I love this loophole we don't found. Don't you understand how this works? <laughs> anyway, as we were saying, or as I was about to say, the other gigantic catastrophe that could happen and to bring it back to something that i tend to bring things back to is there's a video game that i really like and i actually didn't think i was this is getting into a tangent but stay with me (laughs) i didn't think i was gonna like it because i'd heard not very much about it and all i'd seen was like the trailer and the promotional images it's a game called horizon zero dawn on the ps4 and all I'd really seen is that it had like robot dinosaurs in and these gigantic metal T-Rexes attacking you. And that just sounded very lame to me. I remember this game. But then I saw that it was getting good reviews and I gave it a chance and tried it. And the game is fucking awesome. And this is slight spoilers for some of the world building in the game. So if you don't want to hear this, just skip forward a few minutes. But... The central premise of the game that you find out gradually as the narrative progresses is that the reason why humanity has been kind of decimated and made to start again from a very primitive, savage base is that once upon a time there was an advanced human civilization like ours and they made these autonomous robots to wage war against each other as countries. And they made these huge swarms of them where they were super advanced, super precise, super lethal robots. But eventually what happened is they lost the encryption keys for communicating with them. So they could no longer send orders to them about what they should be doing. They could no longer control them directly. They weren't on that cybernetic leash anymore. And once they lost the ability to communicate with them, they were perfectly autonomous and then they started killing everyone essentially and in time they wiped out the entire human race this i have to say this makes me really in like excited for what westworld is going to be like as we go on yeah we've only seen the first episode so it could go in any direction but i'm so excited i love sci-fi where the premise is questioning the morality of using androids or clones or anything like that that's essentially kind of what i wrote my university dissertation on so it's a a subject dear to my heart but anyway so that's the idea in that game and i wasn't expecting something that interesting and sophisticated as a idea and that is i think a very real danger because if you put these robots out onto the field and then you lose the ability to communicate with them, what's going to happen then? Then you just have Mm. this roaming band of killer drones that maybe eventually shift away from their original programming, and then they just wreak havoc and destruction on whatever they come across. And if you make them so powerful and so capable that you can't really fight against them as just human beings with small arms, what is going to happen then? Can they A a band of a hundred... You said a thing about <laughs> human beings with small. <laughs> <laughs> Were you picturing someone with tiny vestigial shrinking arms? I was like, they can't control arms? them because they've got <laughs> tiny arms. Oh no, I can't control these robots because my hands are too small for the remote control. 
<laughs> I feel like a giggle fit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Which really makes you laugh. <laughs> You're losing it. Put it together, woman. <laughs> the thing is, when I like went to say something, you looked at me like you knew exactly what I was going to say. I didn't. Say. I figured... But that's how you looked at me. You were like... <laughs> I figured you laughed at either me saying small arms or me that is essentially what i'm loving that yeah so i had a a sense of essentially what had uh, set you off (laughs) anyway you get my you once again well this is you've shunted me off the railroad of thought well this is the trick isn't it it's always going to be don't let them get so powerful that we can't control them anymore but that's not going to be fun for the people making these things. They want to see how yeah. far they can push it, how good they can create these things. How good they can create these how, A solid sentence syntax, I know. if I've ever heard How one. well they can create these things, how, like, amazing they can be. Like, push them to their most, like, intelligent. They can do the most. But then I think by that point... And where they become kind of like more than human, more than capable than what we ever thought them capable of, that's when you will lose control. And then we're not going to know until it actually happens. And hopefully it happens on a really small scale. Like it's just one guy doing this one thing and it backfired rather than something getting out there and killing loads of people. Sure. Yeah. Get to fucking together. That's a good point. That innate human first for progress and innovation will always be there and it will potentially work against us and backfire. Like you said, if we try to impose these arbitrary, very safety concerned restraints on the people and the companies making these robots, that's never going to fly ultimately because if they find out some Russian company doesn't have mm-hmm. the same constraints and they've now made a much more capable, much more deadly robot, it's going to be very difficult to tell them and also the government they're working for, hey, you can't also do the same thing in order to keep up. And that is a never-ending escalation. And also, we as a society are clearly obsessed with like being able to create and customize the perfect thing thing yeah Yeah. and so yeah so we're just we're (laughs) gonna keep going until we can get to that point yeah i think that about wraps it up for us fucking my brain went in this weird direction of like wrap it up there's a wrap with food in it <laughs> oh god you're losing it <laughs> i'm hungry give me the I need food. to give you a shot of sanity <laughs> juice i don't like wraps <laughs> but i would eat one right now as a palate cleanser while you're in this giggly state something reminded me of when you were losing your shit over me saying small arms which is, is... That i have small arms no, do you think that's uh, what I was about to say? Uh, okay. <laughs> I was about to call you out for your diminutive arms. Hey, they're not that small. They're not at all. I didn't say that. I do have T-Rex arms, though. I don't think you do. Ew. You have arms that are proportional to your body. I know, but they feel small. How do arms feel I big? don't know. Go ahead. How do arms feel anything? Hurry up. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to eat you. But my I'm point gonna... is, the way that you were kind of spinning that into a joke 
unto itself reminds me of how sometimes we'll be on the couch and we'll say something and then one of us will be like that's a really good album name or song title and i think we referenced some of them on a previous podcast but i thought it'd be fun if because we write them down in a list now yeah because there's so many i know that like one day it will be really fun to look back we have like album album title song title um novel like that's your the title of your memoir or whatever or your novel what else do we have what categories we have did we add like a weird category recently yeah we added a couple we have some for poetry collection names (laughs) one for a potential bumper sticker yeah isn't there like one for like what was that joke you made about the name of your shop the chain restaurant this will that... we have several that will not make any conceivable sense. I almost think they're better when you don't explain them. So if I give you some, just say some. Try and remember how we got to that point. Under... Did you not hear what I just said? It's funnier if you no, don't. No, but it's explain. funnier to try and work backwards yeah, and figure out how we got there. So under band name, we have Idris Alba's elbow surgery. <laughs> it explains itself. I don't know that it does. Yes, it does. In what context could elbow, I possibly... Elbow, elbow. Right. What do you finish with elbow? Okay. So, we it's have... not, see, it's not funny when you explain it. <laughs> Just name some. Just rattle some off. All one word. We have kitten tits. <laughs> Is that like a nickname for me? Basically, yeah. I don't... Yeah. We have... and. In brackets, I've specified that this is a trance band. <laughs> Neuromancer Choo Choo Train. Sounds about right. We have... You're like... He's like <laughs> reading them and then like silently laughing it's to It's making himself. me laugh just reading through them. I don't think this is going to be particularly funny for our listeners, but it's funny, it's for, funny us. for us. We have Nefarious Butt Cheek Incarceration. This is still song names. Let me pick some. I'll throw the phone to you. Reading through them and cherry picking. I'm trying to not read the ones that are too insanely vulgar Um, and insane. This is cute. Soft little marshmallow love bombs. Is that a song title? That's an a band name. Welcome to the stage. Soft little marshmallow love bombs. Probably sounded way better when we first made it up. Oh, yeah, there are some really gross ones on here. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I like how we're teasing the listeners, but not actually giving it to them. <laughs> Riot Girl Band, Murdercock. <laughs> <laughs> All one word. All one word. The funniest not thing. Not intercapitalized. The funniest thing to me is that. All of these that we wrote down, we somehow just said randomly in conversation and then realized that they were funny. This is fresh laughter for premarital cat sex. <laughs> I don't understand. What else is there? Um... <laughs> Why are you already laughing? Album name. Bunnies and hedgehogs could do missionary. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Bunnies and hedgehogs 
could do missionary. I mean, they could. <laughs> I actually remember how we got to that. I don't. You did. No, I don't remember how we got to that. But I remember the reason why one of us said it <laughs> is because hedgehogs have spiky backs, and therefore. <laughs> If another animal was going to have sex with a hedgehog, it would have to be face to face. It's adorable. I guess. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't have given me this. Yeah, this is. I can't love him. <laughs> what does this mean? Okay. Your mind is like a three D printer, and then in brackets, but only in your. <laughs> But only in your mind. <laughs> that is true. Oh, yeah. Oh, here's a T-Rex one. You're a sexy T-Rex. That sure. was quite mild. <laughs> this is one for me, I think. Nine tenths. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Jesus you look like you're about to explode from laughter. <laughs> Where's it gone? Nine tenths of a cake is still a lot of fucking cake. <laughs> I think that's probably something you said to me. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't remember this one. My. <laughs> you have to keep reading all this laughing. It'd be funny if you cut it out. Um, <laughs> I lost it. Um. Okay. Compose yourself, Samantha. You have a duty to perform. I think I like scrolled away from it. Mommy's just a little pathway to Papa. What the fuck? <laughs> Did you write that one in your sleep? Yeah, I want to read some. <sighs> Pass me the phone. <laughs> one that we wrote where we were possibly under the influence of some kind of mind-altering substance that I will not deign to name was zombie biggie B-I-G would be terrifying and then in brackets we put and why hasn't the world realised and that was apparently an album name we came up with I remember saying that to you because we said something about biggie and then did you say you went zombie biggie and I was like, zombie biggie would be terrifying. <laughs> and then I remember saying to you after it fell silent, why hasn't the world realised? God, the things you say when you're high. As, a, as another <laughs> album name, we put, I love you, semicolon, I didn't mean to elbow you. Okay, let's not give them all of them. What, in case they use them without our permission? Yeah, but we need I'm just to, trying tease to see them, tease if there's them. any other good ones. Did you go all the way down? I already went to, got to band name. I feel like you must be reading them and not thinking they're funny. No, the problem is I've... Oh, my God. As... <laughs> Come on, give it. As a scar band, <laughs> as a scar band, we put double denim dildo. <laughs> uh, I sound like Motley when I laugh. You have lots of different. I laughs. do. My I, my Motley laugh is definitely out though right now. As an album name, I put 
I'd love to get that dap, that attaboy from dead Jay-Z. <laughs> from dead Jay-Z? <laughs> this is an album name? This is a, that's one it's of those ones album name. you had to be there for. Yeah. Some of them will just never have the same ring to it, but I like that we've taken note of them regardless. <laughs> As a bumper sticker, and I'm pretty sure this is one that you suggested, it sounds mm. like your handiwork. When you get a good butt, you gotta lick it. <laughs> That's the type of thing you'd proudly display on your vehicle. <laughs> My vehicle. Okay, you read one or two more, and okay. then we're ah. departing from this land of insanity okay. and hilarity. Um, and inanity. Oh, this is a good one. This is a song title. This is very apt for our, um, this podcast. YouTube star defecation. Sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how we arrived at that one. Mm. The thing is, we will... <laughs> <laughs> this is another one from when we were I high. I tried to preempt you. This is another one from when we were high. And you were like, this would be on like a proud, small Rhode Island <laughs> franchise restaurant. And they have another one in New England. And it's a pizza chain. <laughs> And they're called B-I-G-Z, in brackets, love it cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't rate that as one of the better ones, I have it to say. Good it was good in the moment. I think maybe this one was yours. My album name, My Dick is the Seal. <laughs> I don't know how many of these are going to make it to air, I have to say. <laughs> Okay, I think we should just give it up now. <laughs> what I was going to say was, the way we arrive at a lot of these is, we'll just be saying... Aww. This is obviously one of mine, or maybe it was one of yours. Album name, I want everyone to have a Ryan. <laughs> I think it's that's so one cute. where I vaguely remember the origin might have been one of those Rick and Morty episodes where there's so many Mortys. And you yeah. said, if that was true, I would want everyone to have Orion. Yeah. Which is maybe the sweetest thing anyone has ever said to anyone. Pretty so, much. Yeah. We'll just be talking and then one of us, usually me, I have to say, will just start playing these word games where I say things that sound alike. Yeah. And then I jump in and then we it kind of all gets changed. And then eventually, if it's good... Usually, we're like, that's a good album name or whatever. And there was actually a list before this on a previous Yeah, phone. the lost list. I don't think it's lost. I think it might have been backed up somewhere. It should be in your email because it would have been... This is when you had an iPhone. And it, was, it would have been in your notes. So it would be in your email somewhere. Yeah, quite possibly. But there were some real gems in that one. There was. Because this is going back... Like, I think we started these... For as long as I can remember, we've always said things like, that's a good album name, or whatever. So I, I can imagine that we started writing them down quite early. The cutest <laughs> one on there that I've just recalled is Jemima Puddle Duck. Oh, yeah. I used to call my... My uncle's name is Jimmy, and so I would sometimes call him Jemima Puddle Duck. I don't understand how... Jim. Jemima. I know it's not Jemima. And then where Jemima. did Puddle Duck come from? Because Jemima Puddle Duck is a thing. You better hold on to your fucking what? seat. 
the seat of my I'm pretty jeans. sure it's a thing. The world cannot wait while you slowly Google this. Well, you're going to fucking cut these seconds out, so it's not going to... Yeah, Jemima Puddleduck. So it's Jemima, even though I say Jemima. The Tale of Jemima Puddleduck is a children's book written and illustrated by Beatrix Potter. I told you. Okay. You've been vindicated, I guess. Yeah, I knew it was a thing. Okay, let's... You're showing me pictures. Of this cute that little... That looks like a goose. It is. It's a duck. No, but isn't a goose different duck, from a... Duck, 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 goose. I don't think that's relating them taxonomically. I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's saying they're the same thing, the same species. Yeah, I think it's like... <clears throat> I No, no. I, I'm ending this train of thought because what? I can see us talking about ducks and geese and swans and swallows and blackbirds uh, for the next hour and a half. Let's wrap this. Jemima is a domestic duck. Abomination up. Ah, oh, whose eggs are routinely confiscated by the farmer's wife because she believes Jemima a poor sitter. This is so... Wow, that is dark. <clears throat> This I- crazy woman walked past a duck <laughs> and said, you're not sitting on those eggs well enough. I'm going to steal them and what, put them in the microwave to heat them up? It's, she lives on a farm. Yeah. The farmer said this. So, she lives on a farm. The farmer said this. I thought it was the farmer's wife. Yeah, but it's the farmer, the farmer's wife, same diff. The farmer's wife has no jurisdiction. How dare you? Over the farm and it's assorted animals i think i must have had like the book when i was little or maybe i read the book at school or something didn't have books you didn't have books at school no i didn't have books you sat on dirt floors and you read from (laughs) comic books it was less of a school and more of a crack den let's be honest hey how dare you we never speak again. <laughs> <laughs> We've made that joke so many I times. I know. We have. I never make it usually, though. You do. So it's a nice change. Okay. Read the plugs, woman. Okay. Plugs. I command you. I plug in. Thanks again. <laughs> <laughs> Just totally switch to, like, air hostess voice. Please put your seats in that upright <laughs> position. Thanks again for listening, guys. No, I'm going to start that again. We're trying to do it in YouTube. Yeah. Tone. That's what they're like. They're like, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening. I can't say it in a normal voice now. Thank we appreciate you listening to the podcast, guys. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> um please share it with anyone else you you think may like us. New episodes are released about every two weeks after the last one. You can find the podcast on iTunes and pretty much all of the podcast services. Or you can go to artatpodcast.com, that's A-R-T-A-T podcast.com, which redirects to our SoundCloud page. You can send any feedback or comments, which we would love, to artatpodcast at gmail.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, which really helps podcasts like us. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are RTAP Podcast on all of your, you know, 
usual spots. And the first five follows, subscribes, or emails will receive a customized RTAP podcast slaughter bot. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we'd make them an album name. I mean, we can just send you one from our long repository. The of... one that we didn't name. There's, there's some on that list that they're, are so... They're vulgar. Inconceivably gross yeah. and graphic that I think we would lose there's, all standing in polite society to read them aloud. There's someone listening right now who's like, I want to know what those vulgar ones are. As bad as you think it is, there are someone that, <laughs> <laughs> that are just us essentially trying to be as gross as possible. Yeah, pretty much. If you imagine like frat bro humor. Yeah. Taken to 11. Gross. That's sometimes what we... Gross myself out reading some of them. Yeah, some of them are real doozies. So yeah, (laughs) another successful episode in the can. Next time we see you, not that we see you, but... Oh, we we see you. Don't think we don't. We will be well-traveled, kiddies. I don't think going to France counts as world Okay, we will be traveled. Traveled? We will be travelers because we will have traveled. And we will have been trampled by French stallions. Hey, uh, touch some wood. Touch some French oak. What is wrong with you? I'm going to have some French bread. You're going to have some French men. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with you? I don't know. It sounded kind of similar, but now I regret that it might be a (laughs) self-fulfilling prophecy. What is wrong with you? I may have pushed you into the arms of some kind of Frederic... Some Fred, yeah. Some French Frederic. Frederic. Sure. Next podcast is just you. She ran away. My girlfriend left me for a Frenchman. No, I don't like this. For Jonathan Frenchman. I will never. What if he has really good baguettes? Mm. Maybe if he has really good cakes. (laughs) You're a slut for cakes. (laughs) Pretty much. Oh, hey, you're still here? Wow, that's real commitment. Listening after the outro music, you deserve a reward. Let me tell you right now, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. I appreciate you. You are worthwhile. You have value as a human being. You have depths of untapped potential that I know you will realize in your life. Samantha is smiling right now. I enjoy where you're taking this. Because she knows that it's true. <laughs> it's funny. Anyway, so yeah, thanks for listening to the podcast. The music used during the intro and outro was kindly provided by Christopher from soundslikeanearful.com. And our podcast art was created by the talented Jake Contu, whose work you can find at jakeontou.artstation.com. See you next episode when we come back from Paris. Au revoir.